This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Day three, Grievance Gate. Captain's log, new things happening at the Jaguars headquarters. More specifically, Doug Marone coming out today and saying that, well, he basically addressed the situation. And spoiler alert, in case you haven't seen this episode yet, feel free to turn off the radio right now. Just kidding. want you guys to listen. But spoiler alert, like we talked about yesterday, once again, Doug Marone left out to dry, not having all the answers, and being made to look bad um, in front of the media. And this has happened before, and now it's happening again. How's it going, guys? Austin Lane, ESPN 690 Radio here with Action Sports Jax. My co-host Brent Martin will be here in a little bit. Uh, still coming back from Disney. Maybe hit a little bit of a traffic, but he'll, he'll be here momentarily. But it's still the big news of the day, and, and we're on day three now. And when we're talking about the front office and the miscommunications, I mean, it's literally come to a head today. And I talked about yesterday. I said, if you're Shad Khan... You're the owner. You have all the money. You have the gift to control the narrative of how the outside world, the media, other players, and society deems you. You have the power to do that, and you didn't. What you did is you sent Doug Marone up there to the press conference to you know, supposedly talk about the Atlanta Falcons coming up because there's a game coming up. Guys are still fighting for their jobs. That's coming up. But instead, 90% of the questions like we knew it was going to be was about the NFLPA. And you put Doug Marone in a bad situation once again. And once again, the narrative is the fact that there is no communication at Jaguars headquarters. There is no idea of how to run that business at Jaguars headquarters. And with all due respect to Shad Khan, who I'm a big fan of, it starts with him at the top. Now, if Shad Khan was to come out and not even say anything, not even put a statement out, but just make you know the, the the proper firings that should occur, more specifically with Tom Coughlin, because now it's coming out where Tom Coughlin fined Leonard Fournette last year for sitting on the bench, and he got fined $90,000 for that. Well, guess what? Leonard Fournette got his money back, uh, apparently, because he got all the 90, I'm sorry, it was $99,000 uh, for sitting on the bench, and that has been rescinded, and that is going back to Leonard Fournette. So there's a little Christmas bonus for Leonard Fournette as well. But we're talking about finding a guy for sitting on the bench. We're talking about finding guys who the CBA strictly states that you can't, after, after the season, you can't stay in the training room if you don't want to. We're talking about guys getting fined for that. Okay, these are things that are clearly written in the CBA. You're breaking the rules. And maybe this kind of dictatorship, maybe this kind of, um, you know, it's just all out, just power control, I own you kind of mentality worked back in the 90s, maybe even worked back in the early 2000s, but it's 2019. And that kind of behavior, that kind of mindset, it doesn't work anymore. You have failed to relate to your players and Tom Coughlin. Now, getting back to Doug Marone, who I've been very critical about Doug Marone 
basically the entire year. You know, and it started with that Baltimore game and escalated to the, the Miami game during preseason when I was very adamant about saying Doug Marone has to do a better job getting his team ready to play because the 10-plus penalties per pop is not going to win you many games. Well, lo and behold, here we are, and it's an underachieving season. And I think I've kind of echoed those sentiments throughout the entire year. Okay, so I've, I've been kind of a critic on Doug Marone. And I don't know Doug Marone as a person. Okay, I've, I've said what's up to him in passing, but I've never like really had a, a conversation with the guy. I respect um, the, the type of guy that he is and the way he presents himself to the media. He seemed just kind of like the you know the the everyday kind of guy. Okay, and the players seem to respect him as well. So I take the player standpoint and thinking that he's a pretty good coach and he's a pretty good guy. Now, obviously, the record this year doesn't reflect of how good of a coach he is, but from a person standpoint, I think he's a good guy. But when I see him up there having to answer these questions, standing in front of the firing line when it's not his position to say something, take football out of it real quick. Take the, take the game of football. Take the NFL out of it. If this is any job and there's mistakes being made by upper management, there are clearly blatant mistakes being made, and you send a guy out there who it is not his job to relay those mistakes, to talk about those mistakes. His only job is to make sure his employees can play to the best of their abilities or work to the best of their abilities. That's his job. But when you're asking someone to go out of what their comfort zone is and what their job is to try to address people of what's going on in the, in the stadium, in the front office, when mistakes are being made, I don't care if it's football or I don't care if it's McDonald's. That's not right. That's not right from a business standpoint, and that's not right from a morality standpoint in my mind. And I get it. It's It's been a crap show this year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But that doesn't mean that you have to treat people with disrespect. And right now, I feel like Doug Marone, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, is getting disrespected. And all we have to go off of is what Doug Marone says. And unfortunately, it's not a good look because it's not his job to answer those questions. I can't wait till this season's over. And obviously there'll be some changes. There'll be a new regime coming in. I hope Doug Marone or somebody in that stadium writes a book in the next year. I'll 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 edit it if I have to. I'll, I'll put money towards it if I have to. But I want to see this book because what we know right now is the communication. It's it's an absolute just crap show. I can only imagine what's going on behind the scenes. What we're not actually seeing. I can only imagine, and I hope someday we find out. And this is a direct correlation, to, in my standpoint, from the performance on the field. You know, like we talked about it, yes, the, the, the Jaguars are liable at some positions, right? This has been an underachieving season. They beat Oakland last week, but they had that five-game skid, and they're playing some of the worst football that we've seen in Jacksonville history. And I've been very adamant in saying that this is probably – the most disappointing season in Jacksonville history. But when you think about it, the biggest constant through the whole season, whether it was preseason, through the regular season, through that five-game skid, it's the fact that there has been communication. There's been guys missing their assignments. There's been guys not in the right spot. And there's been guys that have not been lined up. And that's what I call communication. And when we're talking about communication, you see it in the locker room, and where do you think those mistakes come from? And they come from the top. They come from the miscommunication between the GM, between the vice president of operations, and the head coach, and it trickles down from there. 
This team never had a shot to be successful because it starts at the top and it trickles down. Fred Marno, how are we doing today, man? What is up? What kind of Mickey Mouse operation is this? <laughs> Who are you telling, man? Well, if anybody can right. comment on the Mickey Mouse right now, that it's you, man. Yeah. Damn, I'm a little mad at Mark Long because he had that $99,000 uh, uh, an hour ago. Yeah. And I was going to bring that up today because that's uh, that kind of gives you some insight, right? Mm-hmm. Guys said, listen, it wasn't a good look for Leonard Fournette last year. But $99,000 for sitting on a bench when you're inactive? That, you know, because what a lot of people don't know, what are these grievances, right? That's what we're trying yeah. to get to. Like, how many are there? And that's the number one question. How many, how many are we talking about? Well, I put it to somebody the other day. I said, is it like the Jags have 25 out of 100? Do they have 10 out of 40? Do they, is it 100 out of 400? You know, what yeah. is it like? And, uh, it was like the last answer probably was closer to it. No exact number still, but we're talking about a lot of grievances. We're not just talking about, Dante Fowler's 25, or there are a lot more to it. And I think the Leonard Fournette one is interesting because it gives a little insight about uh, $99,000 for sitting on a bench when you're inactive. But, yes, it was a bad look. Yeah. I didn't even realize that would be part of the fine system, to be honest with you. I just thought he would get publicly lambasted by yep. people, which he did. I think it was a statement by Tom Coughlin at the time. I just didn't really think about it from a fine standpoint. I don't remember that part of the conversation. But there are a lot of things guys get fined for that I don't even think we would assume they would get fined for. Um, so I think that gave a little bit of insight. Uh, Mark Long tweeting that out and said Leonard Fournette confirmed it. And uh, I, I could have confirmed it for you, too, because yeah. I've just been working on, on that the last couple of days. Some of those kind of instances. And that says a lot to me. So, hey, you're talking top down. Uh, it does. It is still a big story. And. Um, Tom Coughlin does not look good in all of this. And I know what you're saying. Doug Marone, again, the front guy. And and he's been put in some really tough spots, really tough spots. I thought he answered it pretty well today, Mm -hmm. about as good as he could until he gets more information. This is one you don't want to battle publicly, to be quite honest, if you're Doug Marone, because you don't want to get stuck in between. Uh, You can really put yourself in between. Uh, And he's done all he can to kind of align himself with the players, it seems like, this year Mm -hmm. and get himself separated from the front office. But uh, I'm not surprised we didn't hear more without more detail. I, I just don't think he feels like it's his job to do that. Now, is it Tom Coughlin's? Is it Shad Khan's to at least have a statement on behalf of the organization? It definitely isn't Tom uh, Doug Marone's mm-hmm. because any kind of statement he supports the organization with who pays him Correct. might look bad against the players who he's trying to inspire and coach and get ready to play a football game on Sunday. So it would have been an impossible spot for Marone to answer. Well, and keep in mind, too, with Doug Marone, he still has, I mean, this is kind of like a job interview for him, right? Because more than likely he's going to be out of here, okay? He, he's going to be gone, and one would think that he wants to keep on coaching. So the other teams are watching probably how he handles this thing as well. And so far, from what we've seen, I think Doug Marone has handled himself with class. And I think the players would attest to that as well. I just, the whole $99,000 thing for Leonard Fournette. And listen, I understand, and I've I've been around the Seahawks a little bit, and I I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I want to get into it a little more. You know, I, I've had friends who played on the Seahawks. I have friends who uh, are staff on the Seahawks, and I almost signed with the Seahawks. I visited there a couple times. And the, the culture there is obviously one of great magnitude, right? Pete Carroll has set that operation up where it should flourish for a long time to come, as long as he's there. The whole point is the fact, though, is that he knows when to pick his battles, right? Like, he is a player's coach, but don't get it twisted. If you mess up, Pete Carroll will rule with an iron fist. The whole point is you have to know when to pick and choose your spots. 
picking and choosing your spots of finding a guy $99,000 on the sidelines for sitting on a bench. Pick and choosing your spots of finding a guy who has to supposedly, quote-unquote, stay in the training room the whole time. Those are not spots that you want to pick, okay? Because that doesn't have a correlation to winning. That has a correlation to you being a power egotistical maniac as far as I'm concerned. And I'm sorry for harsh language, but I'm telling the truth. So from that perspective, I feel like you got to know when to pick and choose your spots. It's okay to rule with an iron fist sometimes, but sometimes you have to see the side of the player as well. And right now you have a front office and a culture that does not see the side of the player. Yeah, because you want them all in. You want everything yes. in return. I think that's what Doug tried to create this year with his football team mm-hmm. against the maybe front office, against that view of Coughlin is saying, hey, you work for us and you're going to do whatever we say. Now, instead, it's, hey, what do you guys need? What can we do better? How can we do this better? OK, we won't play that much in, in preseason games. We're going to take a little bit easier. We're not going to go crazy mm-hmm. in camp. It's still going to be tough, but it's not going to be crazy. We're going to do everything we can to get you ready, keep you fresh, keep you healthy, and keep you ready to go. And you know my point, my view on this is Doug did everything he can, and sometimes that doesn't work. It sure. backfires. You know, and if you look around, and, and Carol, uh, Pete Carroll in Seattle, what they've done has allowed that to work. Mm-hmm. I think a big reason why is a Russell Wilson, because now he's been entrenched there, and he can tell other guys, hey, this is why it works. Yeah. This is how it works. This new blood that they have in Seattle. Hey, man, you better take care your business they'll take care of you but you take care of your business yeah. and you be ready to play well this team just hasn't had the makeup maturity or whatever across the board to handle it that way because the one thing we can say even about Leonard last year and he'll admit it he'll say it Dante Fowler probably a little less likely to give in to any of his mistakes but these are guys that did not represent things perfectly did not did make mistakes mm-hmm. uh, you know Leonard Fournette admits that but whether it's worth the $99,000 fine, whether it's worth those kind of things in return, um, well, that's a different kind of story. So uh, it's 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 disjointed, man. At the end of the day, it's disjointed. And a lot of that happens because of losses. You know, wins will hide everything. Again, I think a, a great example is the Patriots. Patriots do have everything falling in line, but that's because everybody knows the way and the way works. Correct. I continue to argue playing for the Patriots, I don't think a lot of people come out of there and say it's fun. Give yeah, Absolutely. I, I agree. I think people go to Seattle and say, you know, playing for it's fun. It's fun playing for Pete Carroll. Mm-hmm. And so you have two different ways of doing it, one with a lot more success, but one with a pretty decent amount of success, including this year as well, uh, in Seattle. So there are different ways to do it. But you just got to find the line. What I always say is you find a pretty good common denominator, two pretty good coaches, Mm-hmm. Two damn good quarterbacks. And one more to add in there, a lot of wins over the last five, six years, and in the Patriots' case, two decades. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I think the Jaguars' problem is the fact that, and I don't think the Patriots are even this bad, right? Because for as much as players say when they come out of there, Danny Amendola is a prime example yeah. of how it wasn't fun, yeah. it wasn't a good time. You don't hear about all the grievances being filed in New England. Now, does that make a difference because they're winning? Maybe. Yeah. But here's my point. I don't know if there are. I'm yeah. sure there are. I'm times, sure there right? are, but there's, there's that 25%. It's usually, okay? when, you're, it's usually when you're exiting. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I know I'm out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when we're talking about the Patriots and talking about the Jaguars, well, the Jaguars are the, the, the 25% now. All right? 25% of the league uh, grievances have come from Jacksonville. You guys aren't New England. Okay, like you can't act like you are New England if you're not winning games. You can't put on this fake front of here's how we're going to do things if you don't have the culture already in spot. Now, you can try to enforce it and it's going to backfire. It's backfiring now. And like I said, I don't think even New England was this bad to the point of where, you know, guys are getting fined for, you know, 
for uh, for leaving treatment when they can. You know, I don't think New England is that bad. So what you have here is you have an organization that's trying to go above and beyond even what New England does, even though you don't have number one the leadership in place. Number two, you don't have the wins to back it up. And number three, you don't have the history of the culture to back it up. And this is why it's backfiring. It's a big day across the country. National Signing Day. We'll have one of the big signees coming in studio a little bit later on. Ryan O'Halloran will join us a little bit later on. But we'll stay on this topic in two different ways. I'm going to talk about two specific people in this situation. Coming up next, we begin with Tom Coughlin. A thought or two on how it got here for Tom Coughlin even though it looked like it might have been going in a different direction when he left New York and got to Jacksonville in the first year. And then another one. I have said for the last few weeks now, this is going to be a clean sweep in Jacksonville. This was way before NFLPA stuff came out. I thought for sure it would be a clean sweep. And I still do. But does all this give you a little pause about Doug Marone's future in Jacksonville? Does it change your thinking at all? That he's been a bit of a scapegoat, been put in a tough position to be successful, and has handled this in such a way that it might even impress Shad Khan, Tony Khan, those kind of guys at all. Does it move you? Those two guys are the topic uh, of our conversation coming up next. Good to be back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Coos aboard. You can be too. Star Star 690, 904-362-9901. Whatever structure is in place uh, with every team, I think we as coaches are always, you know, a lot of times uh, in some places it's the assistant coaches, you know, that that get a lot of feedback. For some reason, it's really weird uh, how this profession is. Uh, When I was an assistant coach, uh, I had a great relationship with a ton of people on the team and I would say a personal relationship and I had a lot of time. But the minute you start getting titles, you know, so it's, it's amazing to me. Like, even here, like, with the offensive line, you guys know I was the offensive line coach here. So I had a great relationship, Parnell, Linder, you know, those guys. I had Doug Barone earlier today and a lot of questions about the NFLPA situation, the grievance situation. I think you said grievance gate. We've got plenty of gates in 2019. It's grievance gate. Brent, <laughs> we're going to start making T-shirts pretty soon. So hop on board if you're in. Uh to, to the, the Peyton family. They may want to get on the show with the Gates yes. here in town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like we, it. We have sponsorship opportunities oh, here. Plenty, Seemingly man. once a month around here. Plenty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brett Martineau, Austin Lane, Coos here. Uh, thanks uh, to Stuart Weber for uh, filling in yesterday and uh, snuck away for a day down to Disney, so that was fun with the family. Got to do that, but uh, this story did not die, so we're kind of on top of that all day. Give me something to do in line. Um <laughs> For sure. But it's such a bad look for the Jags. And the more people you talk about, I mean, there are some people that will tell you, man, this is the worst organization in the NFL. And right now, is it? it's kind of hard to argue against anything like that. One on the field, they were, until last week, the worst team in the NFL mm-hmm. over the last six weeks. And just the disjointed nature. And some of these things happen. And it, This isn't like the Jags are a lone wolf in terms of people pointing fingers and things going awry. When it goes bad in the NFL, it goes bad just about anywhere. And it can go bad in a hurry. Take San Francisco when they had uh, uh, Harbaugh, right? Mm-hmm. And they were, looked like they were at the mountaintop. And that thing went bam. In a hurry, right? Remember that? Of course. So, I mean, you can go from being really good to really bad real quick in the NFL. Um, but, you know, these, the, this, these kind of stories do not help. And I think Shad Khan has tried to run a, a good organization, try to go, 
put together a good uh, product. And a lot of these moves that he's made have backfired, uh, whether he thought they were – he obviously thought they were the right decisions, but they've backfired. It hasn't worked. So some of his choices have not worked very well. And that really over the last three years now will go to Tom Coughlin. And I will always say this now, and, and I know people don't want to hear it right now because it feels like forever ago. 2017 was a monumental season around here. Whether you want to admit it or not, it was monumental. For anybody that is – you know, 15 years old or 12 years old to probably some 20 years old, that was a massive season. It was the only season, quite frankly. They don't remember these late 90 seasons. Mm -hmm. So that was a massive season. And Tom Coughlin, I think, got a lot of credit for that. Too much credit at the time because I remember saying Doug Marone's not getting enough of the credit. During that time, but that's the way it works. We knew Coughlin would get a lot of the credit. Yeah. Maybe even Dave Caldwell that year didn't get enough credit for building well, some of the, the team, the core of that team around to be able to go to the championship. Yeah, team. and the most important part is remember the roster was in place when Coughlin got in. Yes. Okay, so the, the talent on the roster was already here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, it's the decisions, right? It's the Bortles decision. It's the Foles decision. It's some of this stuff now has come out that almost makes it worse than the decisions. Because in decision-making and personnel in the NFL, you're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes you make colossal mistakes, and too many of those will get you out of town. Uh, and that might have been the case anyway. But this stuff, when you start making the organization look bad, when it's almost embarrassing to the point, uh, when it is – Almost self-destructive inside Jags headquarters because you're not putting the organization, the football team, that roster in the best position to be successful. That's all anybody wants in life. And your job right now, you're listening, you want to be put in the best situation. If you if you go back to any frustration you might have as an employee, no matter what line of work, sometimes that frustration stems from you not believing that you have been put in the best position to succeed. Mm -hmm. And maybe in that sense, Jalen Ramsey had a point there. You know, looking back, maybe he did have a point there. Again, I will always argue if Jalen Ramsey was standing right here right now, I would tell him, you did not go about that the right way. That was wrong. You didn't. It's a bad look. And here comes Brent getting blocked. Can't wait. Oh, I don't care about that. But <laughs> I, I would know. tell him that to his face. Uh, sure. and, and and I because I believe that. That yeah. was a bad – the timing was bad. All that stuff was bad. And you've been very adamant about especially that. Especially if it was stewing. But that doesn't mean he wasn't right about some things. And now in hindsight, he's starting to look more right mm -hmm. about some things. You know, you take a Leonard Fournette situation and this new news about the $99,000 and he was fined for sitting on the bench last year next to TJ Yeldon in that situation. And you take a Leonard Fournette and all – all the things that added up for Leonard Fournette, some self-inflicted, again, important to point out in Leonard Fournette's situation. And he said, you know what? I'm going to get better from this. He's like, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use this as motivation. And I still believe there's a sense of me like he could still – again, he never really got those guarantees taken away. Just didn't necessarily get them guaranteed. Correct. Like he didn't lose money. He had to he earn just, it. Though. He has to earn it back. And mm -hmm. so when you have to earn it back, he said, "I'm going to go earn that damn money back." That's a lot of money. Yeah. More power to him, right? And he did. So, so well, he I took, think. Yeah. He, oh, he's doing it. Yeah. And so that tack that he took a little different avenue than Jalen Ramsey. So there's a couple of different ways to go about it. But what I want to get into here, Austin, is the Tom Coughlin facet of this, and I want to mm -hmm. get to Doug Marone in a moment in a different way. But Tom Coughlin. The guy I covered back in New York mm -hmm. when I was covering training camps in Albany and some Giants games, and we weren't every day covering in the season, so I don't want to misrepresent that, but they would come to Albany, New York for training camp, and so we covered every day at training camp. So, sure. 
he did that for I did it for what five years uh, in Albany, and before they moved out of Albany in, in training camp. And I, I always say this around this kind of conversation, him and Strahan were going at it, man. I mean, it was a public deal in New York about him and Strahan and Strahan and some of the team and going to the NFLPA, filing grievances, mm-hmm. these same kind of things about Tom Coughlin. And it becomes legendary, especially after the fact, because they won, right? They won championships. But if you read about what they won, well, he changed his ways a little bit. Strahan opened his eyes. Other players opened his eyes to, hey, man, this thing's changing. You can't do this. Mm -hmm. And that almost galvanized that football team. They end up making big plays and and win Super Bowls and, of course, raising Lombardis. I still think Coughlin, from that regard, could go, will go, should go to the Hall of Fame someday. Mm -hmm. What I don't understand is if you learned that that you had to have that give and take a little bit in New York and was successful doing it. Mm -hmm. What changed from when he got let go in New York to when he took the year off and worked for the NFL and comes back to Jacksonville and says, it's time to rule with the iron fist again and find people ninety nine thousand dollars for sitting on a bench and. Piss all these guys off, and I don't care what they think down in Jacksonville, these kind of players. It's one thing to think that way in New York, but not in Jacksonville. Yeah. You know, that's what I don't understand. I mean, he saw it work. Here's the problem, though, He saw Brent. the give and take work in New York. Yeah. Why didn't he see it in Jacksonville? Here's the problem with that, Brent. You're talking about his time in New York, and that was, what, a decade ago? And now we're talking, well, yeah, yeah a decade yeah. ago. Especially all the success. Correct. Yes. And the problem here is the fact that Tom Coughlin hasn't changed. Tom Coughlin has stayed true to who he is. And a lot of the times when people do that, we praise him for it, right? Like, oh, that guy's being true to who he is as a person. Good on him for doing that. But in the work environment, when the culture around you changes, when the player around you changes, you either adapt or you have to get out of the way, man. And he hasn't adapted, Brent. You know, I always I always talk about Andy Reid because Andy Reid is a guy I have a lot of respect for as a head coach. I think he's one of the best head coaches right now in the NFL. And he's been like that for a long time, I would say. And when I was with the Kansas City Chiefs, guess what? It was Andy Reid's show, and he made sure everybody knew that. From that perspective, there was, you know, like, for for instance, my position coach, my defensive line coach. It's no secret that me and him didn't get along. Not going to call him up by name. You can look it up if you want to. But we we didn't get along, okay? We had some altercations on the sidelines. If you read any of the Chiefs preseason games, number two or number three, you saw me and him feuding on the sidelines. It was about playing time and scheme and things like that. I just wasn't happy. That's okay, though. Because he's my position coach. Oh, no, okay? I defended Jalen Ramsey all these times. <laughs> but that's okay, because he's my position coach, though, Brent, right? Like, was he in the right? Was he in the wrong? It doesn't really matter. And, yeah, the environment in the defensive line may have not been the best, but my defensive line coach wasn't running the show. Andy Reid was. So when Tom Coughlin comes here and he does all these things, like, this wouldn't be uncommon to me, for instance, if a defensive line coach said, you know what, if you're late to a meeting, I'm finding you this much. If you sit on the bench, I'm finding you this much. Because I've had it told to me before, from a defensive line coach's perspective. But when you have the guy, the vice president of operations, who's running the show, who's supposed to establish the culture, when that's the kind of mindset you bring, and you're supposed to be like the leader in that stadium, well, that, that's the problem then. Okay, it, it, It's okay to have a, a subordinate who kind of rules that way. But you can't have the guy who's put in charge of winning football games, a guy who's in charge of changing the culture, act like that. And that's what happened with Tom Coughlin. Everything changed around him, and he refused to change, and he refused to adapt. Yeah, well, and and again, I'm trying to get back to he did change, though. He adapted in New York a little. 
And, mm. and so, like, he did. Like, I mean, read the articles about it. Sure. See the Super Bowls about it. That's why they won. I mean, he, well, it's not the only reason they yeah. won. I mean, shoot, David had, Tyree makes a great catch. They had a pretty talented roster, oh, too. <laughs> they did. They yeah. built a roster, but a, you, you still don't do those things and win big if you don't respect the coach and you come that's, out, that's somehow true. come to you're all on one page. Yeah. You can't win in this league if you're not on one page. That's true. And the bottom line in this building is it's crystal clear now and maybe last year, and maybe they got away with it to a degree in 17, but definitely this year, that they are not on the same page in that building. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I mean, that is that is fact. <laughs> that is just as plain old fact right yeah. now. So my point is he cha- he was this way, and he was successful this way, but he wasn't ultra successful that way until he changed around and he noticed the players were a little different and he got feedback from the players well here we are 10 years later he comes to jacksonville and it's almost like that didn't happen this is jacksonville they don't they don't act that way that was new york man that's the big time that's the big market that's that's the michael strahan's of the world the eli manning's the tiki barbers those are those kind of players sure not here man we got a bunch of 23 24 year old guys they're not like that so i'm Younger going guys. back yeah. to our it's 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 my college ways. It's it's my, uh, it, for lack of a better dictatorship kind of ways. You sure. know, I'm ruling with the iron fist, yeah. and 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 we're and gonna, gonna teach and I'm gonna try guys. to forge leadership. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to forge guys to be captains on this football team. Yeah, and and listen, I'm always a little aware of this. I'm not here to tell you that players at 24 year old. 24 years old, yourself included, mm-hmm. in that preseason game two and three yeah. are smarter than the coach who's been doing it for 30 years. Correct. Me at 24 years old in my business, I might have thought I was smarter than everybody, but I know I wasn't. Mm -hmm. That guy that's been in the business for 15, 20 years probably knows a little bit more than me. Mm -hmm. So, But you still have to learn how to make it a great situation for those 23, 24-year-old guys. Get the most out of those 23-year-old, 24 guys. Nobody goes to work pissed off and performs at their best. Nobody does. It doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You can't. You're not in the right frame of mind. You don't want to be there. To create that kind of atmosphere is not a good atmosphere. That doesn't mean you don't call somebody in your office for sitting on the bench and be like, hey, the next time this happens, you know, you're one of the leaders. You're one of the faces of our franchise. Next time this happens, I'm finding your ass. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if it's $99,000, but we had Leonard on the other day, remember now, and we didn't ask him about that because I learned about it later on. But he did say the money is outrageous in terms of the fines, and that's obviously what he was referring to. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because, and, and Dante Fowler Jr. in the $700,000. But he was referring to that especially, yeah. that $99,000 for sitting on the bench when you're inactive. Mm-hmm. And I asked somebody, I was like, well, is that uncommon? Like, if you don't like in, uh, the way a, a player um, did something, can you find him? Can you slap a fine? I'm like, well, you can, but nobody in the NFL would find anybody f- for being inactive and sitting on the bench. You, again, for a bad look, you might pull them into your office, but you're not going to find them. Mm-hmm. $99,000 for that. So that, that's this whole segment to me is this whole Tom Coughlin thing is if it works so well in New York to win Lombardi's, yeah. why didn't you go about it the same way and have this give and take with the players? Because it's certainly apparent you didn't have give and take. And one last thing. Yeah. You have to be all on the same page is important here because – if we, I, I get the feeling that Doug Marone is a former player. Doug Marone, who actually comes from that iron fist, you know, uh, coaching tree. Sure. So he believes in some of that. He believed, I think, in that hard training camp. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He believed in that discipline. 
But I'm not sure he would have believed in a $99,000 fine for Leonard Fournette. Maybe he did. Maybe he signed off on it. Maybe he suggested it. I just have a hard time believing he did. So if you're not, yes, okay, you have the boss man who can who can give that. But wouldn't you also want to be in line if you're Coughlin, Caldwell, and Marone saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. We all agree. I, I just get the sense that that wouldn't have happened. They didn't agree. They weren't yeah. all in line. This was just one guy from the corner office making that call and therefore putting, again, his head coach potentially in a tough spot with not just the one player we're talking about, but with numerous players in that locker room and creating this kind of culture. So it, here's the issue with the Tom Coughlin coming from New York and then going to Jacksonville. You know, and it was about a decade or so of difference. And when you look at those New York teams, Brent, those super talented teams, yes, they were talented, but you know what? They were also close. I think you can attest to that. Like, the guys, I mean, I think of the defensive line. You know I mean? They tried each other's back. But I think that the whole team, as a cohesive unit, had each other's back. And that's the trend in the NFL. And that's what wins championships. Sometimes the, the, the most talented team does not win a Super Bowl. Usually it's the team. Oh, absolutely. Usually it's the team who's the closest, who gels the, the most, who meshes the most. Peaks at the okay? right time. Exactly. Gets Peaks a little right lucky. Time. Yeah. I mean, there's always a little luck involved, and that's with <laughs> anything. That's with any business. But with Tom Coughlin, you know, in football it's crazy, Brent, because there's always something new, right? Like there's the Ravens of this year. Yes. There's the Rams of last year. And what do teams have to do? They have to adapt. Last year, the Chiefs, I'm sorry, last year, the Patriots adapted of how to beat the Rams, right? They, they threw out this new defense, this 3-3-5. They were jamming the corners and they shut down the Rams defense. And ever since then, the Rams have looked pretty pedestrian, okay? Now people are trying to stop the Ravens offense. Will they do it? We'll see. But my point is, people are always adapting and you have to adapt because that's the way the NFL works. So if you adapt on offense and you adapt on defense and you even adapt on special teams, you also have to adapt in the locker room and you have to adapt to understanding your players and what we have here is tom coughlin in a front office who for whatever reason cannot relate to the players whether it's stubbornness whether it's not being willing to just go out there and put yourself out there for people to see whatever it is but they cannot relate to the players and when you do that that cohesiveness that team bonding it's not there i'm working on something for both tv and radio for probably after the season because I just haven't had time to do enough of the work, but I'm working on something. That the Jaguars, in my opinion, have been a day late and a dollar short on a lot of their moves, on a lot of their approach. Mm. It's like they get things when, well, it's already moved past them. You know, and I brought this up a little bit, I think, last week. Like, even Gus Bradley, when you hire Gus Bradley, how do you not start building your defense? He's a defensive-minded guy. They waited three years to build the defense yeah. around a defensive-minded coach. Sure. Was that the right way to go? And by that time, was it the right defense and all this stuff? And offensively, you know, Bortles fits into this. Were they, were they not enough of a visionary to see, okay, this was probably a one-off thing? Well, hindsight says they didn't see that. Yeah. You know, whether you had reasons, I get the reasons. But in this business, you have to be ahead of the curve. And the Jaguars seem to be on the back end of the curve on a lot of these things. So I'm not going to go into that because I'm not ready to completely yeah. in terms of the full landscape. This decade is kind of where I'm looking at. But there are some illustrations that that is true. And one of them might – I think the irony here is I think Shad Khan is one of the great visionaries that I've seen, been around. I mean, look at it. Look what he's done. For sure. Right? Yeah. And look what I think he might do with the city and, and the stadium a little bit. Yeah. And, and those – you know, we can agree or disagree or whatever. Yeah. But I believe Shad Khan, from a visionary standpoint, is, is pretty impressive. Yeah. But what's weird is he might have hired guys that – are not 
or on the wrong side of that curve. Sure. Not completely whiffing, but not on cutting edge. Yeah. And even though they tried to bring some analytics and things like that into the equation. But my point of this is uh, something I've said a lot about Tom Coughlin. When Jalen Ramsey or a Telvin Smith or heck a Leonard Fournette yep. walks down the hallway in Jags headquarters, they just say, hey, what's up, man? He's 50 years older than them. Do they respect what he's done? He's one, Yeah. But they also really don't care. Of course. When a sales guy or somebody who works for the Jags reveres Tom Coughlin, people yeah. in town, some revere Tom Coughlin, what he's done, they stand up straight. It's a coach. How you doing? You know, yeah. they're like, that's like, whoa, that's Tom Coughlin. Yep. There is a difference. That's my point. And one quick point. You brought up Gus Bradley, you know, right? The, the ultimate players coach coming from Seattle. Uh, the players respected him, but they didn't win ball games. Why? Because the leadership was not in place here. You have Doug Marone, who is the old school philosophy, comes in and this year goes to the players, right? He's more of the players coach. Yeah. He respects the players. It makes you wonder where if Doug Marone saw this whole thing coming from the front office saying, you guys are ruling a little bit too hard with an iron fist. I have to do what I can and try to make this more of a players-friendly environment because if I don't, we're going to lose the team. Unfortunately, he lost the team regardless. This, but maybe this was Doug Marone's last lifeline saying, you know what? I don't like how the front office is running things in the culture. I have to do what I can to try to at least save this whole thing. It's a really good point, and it segues us right into the next segment. Could Doug Marone be saving his job because of the mistakes Tom Coughlin has now made and it's out in the public? Hmm. Could that at all cross your mind? Could it cross Shad Khan's mind? Because I thought it was a clean sweep, and I still do. But I'm starting to think a little bit more about Doug Marone and the way he's handled this whole situation. Should we even entertain it? Next on ESPN 690. You know, during the season, that happens quite a bit that I may not, like, after a football game, I feel very comfortable answering any question. I feel very comfortable asking any questions about Atlanta. There's some things that occur that I don't have all the information. I'm aware of it, but I don't feel comfortable getting up in front of people and, and speaking on, on behalf of whatever situation it is. So it's not they do their thing, I do my thing. You know, obviously, you know, with, with what's happening, the, the, obviously the season, I, I put it on me. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, but we're all in this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, maybe not for much longer. And uh, Doug Marone kind of wavered at the end there, I think, in that, yeah, we're all in this thing because we have to be, yeah. not really because we want to be. You brought up a good point before the last uh, break, and that is, did uh, did Doug Marone see that this was really a problem spot with this football team and therefore say, I'm doing it my way? Mm-hmm. and. I don't know what the reasons were, but it's crystal clear. He said, I'm doing things my way. Yeah. You know, and we don't want to go as far. To, I don't want to be disrespectful, respectful and say he just went into across the hall and been like, you know, hands up and you know what. Yeah. But I, I think he did basically say, listen, I have all the respect for you in the world, TC. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going down and this is what these players are telling me and this is how I think they're going to respond. I'm doing it my way. I'm not just following a playbook that maybe now might be 25 years old. And here's the crazy thing, Brent, because Doug Marone was a former player, so he gets it. He gets how locker rooms work. He gets how practices work and things like that. So to say Doug Marone did it his way, I don't even know that's 100% true. I don't know if Doug Marone said, you know what? I'm going to take it easy on the training camp practices. I'm going to you know, earn the players' respect. It might have just been a case where it's like, well, I want to do things a certain way, but I have to go above and beyond to try to make these players happy because it's so bad from the culture standpoint. And if I don't do that, I'm going to lose him. So I agree with you saying, well, did he do things his way? Maybe, but maybe it was so drastic and he didn't even want to go that drastic 
but he had to just to try to salvage a season and obviously a situation with culture problems. All right, so here's a question I want to get into. You believe Doug Marone's gone, right, in a year? Correct. I do, too. I think it's a clean sweep, and I have said that for a long time. Um, nothing this week has changed that. Yeah. N- nothing in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I feel like you can go all the way go back to three weeks ago, and I think it's been clean sweep. No. And there are a lot of people, yeah. I'll tell you, there are a lot of folks I talk to in and around the Jags that don't agree with me. Well, and I'm sure a lot of the players wouldn't either, right? I think the players respect him, and the players, if he, when he does get fired, like I think he's, it's going to happen. I think you're going to hear a lot of outcry from from his former players. But at the end of the day, it's the same thing with Gus Bradley. A lot of players didn't want to see Gus Bradley go, but this is a performance based business, and unfortunately, Jacksonville Jaguars have not been performing. Yeah, and I I think uh, by the time Gus got out of here, I think they got it so much, and they were like. Well, you know, it just hasn't worked. It's run four time, four years, you know, and it's not maybe maybe we do need something else. And again, I mean, the Coughlin and Marone and they walked into a situation where they got some more players. They hit in free agency. Uh, they got a quarterback who played his best football of his life. And they also had a hungry, hungry football team because they were so tired of the bad years with Gus. No doubt about it. That, so and I'm not taking anything away from them. They they deserve everything they got for 2017. If there's anybody that waves the 2017 flag more than anyone else, it would be me. I don't lose sight of that. And it might be selfish, but I've been through 12 of these now and 11 of them. People have been out of it by December. That was a fun year. You're not taking 17 away from me. <laughs> I mean, you're not, <laughs> yeah. and it's hard in the NFL, but I'm I'm going to enjoy 17, if you don't mind. It was one out of 12. As you should. <laughs> uh, now, what I'd like to see is one out of three, maybe, yeah. or even a one out of four ratio, not one out of 12. And so that's my concern. It's where is this organization headed? Where, what is going to salvage this organization? What's going to change it? How do they get out of this Browns, Raiders, Jags, Bills to a degree? They, they look like they're pulling out of it kind of cycle how do you change that cycle when you are bad and, and perennially bad but the thought now with all this tom coughlin stuff coming out is doug marone standing up there and with a shield essentially on the jalen ramsey stuff on this kind of stuff on everything that's going on in the building on shouting down the hallway and saying somebody please help me and it seems like he's being left out to dry at times does he have any chance to save his job here? Do you, mm-hmm. if you're Shad Khan and anybody else making these decisions, do you look at Doug Brown and be like, man, we put that guy in a tough, tough spot uh, to succeed? And we didn't realize it maybe mm-hmm. at the time that it was this tough because 17 was great. But with everybody pointing fingers at each other and you're not working cohesively with everybody else, is that on us more than it's on Doug? And do you give him another chance? Again, I'm not advocating this. I'm just saying, does that come to your mind a little bit? Watching Doug in these news conferences, it kind of does. It did for me today. It's like, do I have to think about that a little bit? So I guess the sunshine and rainbows in me, and that's from hanging (laughs) out with you a lot, I guess, Brent. Um, from that standpoint, I would want to say, yeah, maybe he does have a chance, right? Like the players respect him. I think he's a good dude. Obviously, this is not all his fault, but I'm also a realist and I'm more of a black and white type of person. I tell it how it is. And when you're talking about does Doug Marone have a chance to save his job, I say absolutely not. Because if he did have a chance to save his job, the number one thing he would have to have going forward is respect from the front office. And every time Doug Marone goes out there, 
and has to answer questions that are not in his job description. He has to stand in front of the firing line and answer questions that he shouldn't have to answer. To me, that's a sign that you don't respect your coworker, you don't respect somebody who works from you, and the writing's on the wall. Yeah, listen, I think the biggest reason why, first of all, Doug Marone, in my opinion, I, I want to go, I, I've got to be as transparent as I can be in what I said. I don't want to be hypocritical. Eight weeks into this thing at four and four going to London, I said, I think this guy's done an admirable job. Great job. Yeah, everybody was I mean, healthy. You he, had what you wanted. He, he got everybody healthy. Yeah. It looked like the players had responded. He lost his starting franchise quarterback, $88 million man. He put up with the Jalen Ramsey stuff for three weeks, which was not an easy thing to navigate. And by the way, that wasn't on him. Mm-hmm. That was obviously on somebody above him. Yeah. It now is crystal clear, and it was even then. So he lost his best football player, you could argue, and traded him away. So at 4-4, four and four, I thought, man. He has put this team in a position, and that's all you want in the NFL going into the final two months. But what I don't understand are two things. How you lose nine in a row in the NFL last year, even if you're beat up, and how you lose five in a row with a healthy roster the way the Jaguars did this year. Mm -hmm. And so my transparency is, yes, as I said, Doug, I thought did a great job through eight games. Well, it's apparent that whatever he tried to do backfired because he got nothing out of the football team over the next five weeks. Yeah. Now I give him credit again for keeping it together enough to at least get this performance on last Sunday, but it's over and done with by now just doesn't matter anymore. So that's why I think he'll lose his job more so than well, he was put in an unfair situation. Let's see if he can give it a go again. Uh, I, I think this will be a clean well, sweep. And, and by the way, I think he might be a little bit of casualty of war here because I think they have to change things up top. And I think if you are going to make a change in, in the structure of your organization, mm-hmm. if you're going to make a front office change, well, you have to clean sweep this thing essentially because you can't put somebody else. You can't go hire people and say you have to work with this guy. You have to work with that guy. It's not a good recipe to go get the best candidate possible. No. It just isn't. So you have to start it all over and start from scratch and dig this thing out of the hole and hopefully – hopefully find a star and i don't think doug maroon's a bad coach i actually don't think dave caldwell's a bad gm and i sure as hell don't think tom coughlin's a bad coach i think guys should go to canton ohio as a coach i just don't think this setup is sustainable and it's proven not to be it mm-hmm. can't be sustained and so when it, it's not going to be you can't replace one or the other and put this into that that's not how it works this isn't plugging in a backfield mm-hmm. you know this is plugging in a systematic thing, and they have to change a systematic thing. And so, therefore, I think Doug Marone's going to be out of a job, um, even though I think there might be some other people around the league that will look at him and be like, you know, you did a pretty good job in that situation. You really did. And could that mean an opportunity down the road? Maybe. But honestly, I don't think Doug Marone was getting another opportunity in the near future until Tom Coughlin and the Jags gave him that chance yeah. three years ago. So uh, it, it'll be interesting around Marone. But, but again, I applaud how he's handled a lot of this. This has been a tough thing to handle. He's getting paid a few million dollars too now. He's a big boy. Yeah. He can handle some of it. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like feel bad for him. Yeah. I just don't think he's been in the put in the best situation possible as a head coach. Yeah. You know, and I think if you're following the situation closely or if there's rumblings around the league with the inner circles, I think everyone understands that this is not all Doug Marone's fault. But here's the thing, Brent. Unfortunately when you're the head coach, it's directly correlated to the record. Okay, and this record this year has been underachieving. 
and I've been on record saying, and I'll say it again, I think this is the most um, disappointing season in Jaguars history. Now it's starting to become really the disappointing season, not only on the field, but off the field as well, obviously. So when you have that, and unfortunately, a record doesn't really get tied to a GM, a record doesn't get tied to the vice president of operations, and sometimes record doesn't even get tied to the owner. The record is, is a direct correlation of the NFL head coach. And this year, the Jaguars have not been winning a lot. So unfortunately, when the, when the things are put in place and Shad Khan came out last year and said that, you know, there's going to be changes if things don't change. Well, things haven't really changed that much. The Jaguars have still lost a lot of games. So unfortunately, Doug Marone's got to be the guy to go. Yeah, and, and it's going I, it's going yeah. to happen. Uh, yeah. Again, I believe fully it'll be a clean sweep. Like, there's not everybody that agrees with me there, um, and we don't know what Shad Khan's thinking. And so the last thought of this, at least for right now, and we've got some other things to get to, is is the Shad Khan angle. I heard you start the show with Shad Khan, and I know people have talked about Shad Khan. People want to hear from Shad Khan. You're not going to hear from Shad Khan for another couple of weeks. And I don't know if that will be on a piece of paper in front of a microphone or not. It's happening in a couple of weeks, I fully believe. Might be Sunday night after the final game against Indianapolis. But it's not happening anytime soon on this front. A little more on that. Is that the right move? But why that might be the case? I'll try to shed some light on that. Coming up next on ESPN 690. The big thing is, is that, you know, the, the union is supposed to protect the players and make sure the guys are, um, you know, uh, you know, just looked after and have a, a place where you can, you know, uh, have some security. So, uh, you know, I mean, getting the money back and making sure, uh, you know, you know, the player is, is represented right. That's the, that's the ideal goal, you know. But for me, I had a great time. You know, Jacksonville's been a great place for me. I have great experience here, you know, with the organization, you know, the front office, you know, the coaching staff. I mean, it's been a great run for me. You know, so, you know, I, I'm definitely happy to be here. Did Calais Campbell just say he's not coming back? What's up, man? You giving out your retirement speech? What's going on right now, dude? <laughs> I mean, boy, that was like, that's fresh off the presses there. Back from the locker room, Marcel Robinson was there, and players are reacting to it. We'll hear from A.J. Boye in a bit, uh, also Avery Jones in a bit. And and I understood. I mean, I, I think Calais is a guy that has had a good experience, and, of course, he's a player that you're probably not going to get too many fines for. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for sure. A little bit of this is, you know, what, what happens in these kind of situations like, well, you can do everything the right way and then you don't get fined. Yeah, <laughs> like that is a that's a possibility, right? <laughs> of course. Like, it, it's like the kid in school that's parents come in complain because the punishment was too harsh yeah because he screwed up but to be fair with dante Fowler, though brent i mean they were breaking the cba rules that's fair True. you know good like point. that's the good catch. yeah you're breaking the rules there yeah that's a good yeah. catch yeah that's true. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here i am taking the player side again what else is new right no no but that's no yeah. that was good that's yeah. true that, yeah. that actually was the the foundation of this letter correct so that's a very fair point yeah but when you're talking about some of these other things when you get fined i always thought that was the you know I, i've said this before i guess bradley on his way out See, see, people get fined all the time. Most people, I would say, if you ask the public, mm -hmm. people listen to this show, know the Jags, and talk about the Jags and follow the Jags, they say, man, Gus Bradley probably never find anybody. That is so not true. Mm -hmm. So not true. Because mm -hmm. I asked him about it one time, it, it, just privately, not on the record, but it's like it, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. Oh, yeah. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so, I, because uh, the big narrative at the time was there's no accountability and there's no this and that. Well, it went from that. To a guy finding people hundred grand for sitting on the bench when you're inactive. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's wild, you know. It is. Uh, it's it's a it's a really wild scene how much it was a 180, and even on the the lower approach of that, you're still seeing fines probably around every NFL team for hundreds of thousands of dollars, which also isn't a bad thing because those go to charity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, of course. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the fines do go to they charity. Do. Yes. Uh, so that's a very nice donation. It's a good cause. It's not going to someone's pockets. Now, let know? me ask you this. Uh, th- can you write that off? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I never got fined in my entire career in the NFL, so I couldn't tell you. But maybe going forward, maybe I should, if I would have slacked off a little bit, yeah, I could have wrote it off and not had to worry about it so much. Um, one thought, I mean, did you did you hear that the way I did too? Yeah. Calais? Yeah. Um, I, which I think he knows the business so much. I've talked to him a little bit about this, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming up in a couple of weeks where I'll talk about it a little bit more. I don't know if he's going to be willing to take a pay cut. They are not going to pay him $15 million, I don't believe. But we talked about this last week, said, hey, don't you really have to consider, maybe this was even Monday, yep. you got to consider keeping guys like this around because when you get rid of the Mercedes Lewises, a lot cheaper. Uh, when you get rid of Daryl Smith, a lot cheaper. When you get rid of those players, that hurt, hurt the franchise. And now Puzz went out on his own, it's hurt the franchise, losing Puzz, yep. losing some of that stability. Well, Calais is one of those guys. And so you have to seriously consider trying to keep this guy any way you can. But I'm not sure if it makes monetary sense to keep him at $15 million, given the Jaguars' current situation. I mean, we'll explore that more. But you almost get the sense that, hey, I'm due to make this, and if I don't make this, then I'll go find another team. That's what it sounded like from Calais, and he he knows the business very well. He does know the business well, and I think we both agree. I mean, this guy's going to the Pro Bowl this year, okay? Yeah, congratulations to that part of it. We'll get into that a little bit later. It's a great honor for him, and I think that the new regime coming in, yes, they probably won't pay him $15 million a year, but I think they have to give everything in their power to try to keep him because it's like we saw with Gus Bradley. When they let the Daryl Smiths go, when they let the Mercedes Lewis's walk, um, that affected the culture of the locker room, and it affected the leadership of that locker room. And then the last thing you want to do as a new regime coming in, kind of having to start from scratch again, is you know pulling guys in that aren't familiar with the, how the Jacksonville Jaguars do things. Now, granted, they've done things bad way this year, but I'm saying that have just been around the locker room, have been around the city. That can make a difference between having a leadership to take you on a playoff run and having a leadership that's just going to, you know, have you won five, six games a year? I think you need some of those foundation pieces. You absolutely do. Because this team certainly has shown. Now, Leonard Fournette's grown up a lot, but this team, I'm still not sure where, like, Miles Jack is in the growing up process. I'm mm-hmm. not. I mean, he hasn't had a good year. He got paid, didn't have a good year. Mm-hmm. Your biggest fear is you pay guys and they don't do well. I mean, where is this team from a maturity level? And I mean, I'm just kind of calling out Miles in that situation. I don't know what he's like day to day. I'm not sure. I'm just saying he didn't live up to the contract. You know, guys like Calais lived up to the contract. There's a lot of people that believe you can pay Yannick Ngakwe and he'll live up to that contract because he's got that chip that's built in, and it's not just to get another deal. He'll be, he'll be that chip will be that big when he's 75 years old. Yeah. You know, so uh, I just don't know if this locker room is. They they talk about it being young. Guys like Foles and guys like Calais, guys have seen other places. They still talk about it being young. Mm-hmm. I don't think about this locker room being young anymore. I mean, these guys are past the young stage. Yeah, they have some young players, but every team does. So I don't know where it's at and how much you need these guys around, but you need some of those guys around is my point. And Calais would be a good one uh, to keep around for a variety of reasons, um, including Jaguars All Access. Uh, why do you think Shad Khan needs to talk? Why, why are you so adamant There's, about it? Why right now is my point. He yeah. is going to say something at some point. But why right now? What would it remedy if you were his PR guy yes. saying, hey, man, we got to do this? 
listen, this is not a good look. I get that. Yeah. But why right now? There, there's so many reasons, Brent. Where do I start? Number one, we've seen it today. Where Remember when Jalen Ramsey was doing his thing and everyone's worried, was well, that going to be a distraction for the team? Right, and then we're everyone's worried about well now players got to answer Jalen Ramsey questions. Well, during a, in a locker room setting, when the media was an, you know asking questions, they may have ans, you know asked one or two Jalen Ramsey questions to each player. But I guarantee, and I wasn't there today, but I can guarantee that locker room today, when the media was in there, all it was was NFLPA, NFLPA, NFLPA. That's all it was. Nobody cares about the Atlanta Falcons, and I get it. The season's over. You're not going to the playoffs. But if it's me, if I'm a player in that locker room, I'm still trying to win games. I'm still trying to fight for a job. And now instead of focusing on the task at hand, I have to answer these NFLPA questions. Why? Because nobody from the organization has come out and put a statement. So now it falls on the coach and Doug Marone, and it falls on the players to try to justify what happened. And to me, that's not fair. So that's one reason. Another reason why, the NFLPA, the NFL Players Association, that players like me put in, you know, that basically implemented to have our backs that we listen to. Now, we, we may not always agree. Like, yeah, some of the lockout things that we got, maybe we don't agree with. But at the end of the day, in a, in a, in a crazy chaotic environment, in a crazy chaotic, uh, profession, the NFLPA is going to always be that beacon that we go to. If we have a question, if we need support, the NFLPA is there. So we take them very seriously and we take their thoughts very seriously. So when they come out and say that they would advise against players signing to go to that team, well, number one, Former players like me see that, but also current players that are maybe coming up on a free agent deal. They see that as well. And if that's not bad enough, where the NFLPA puts out a letter, guess what, Brent? Especially in 2019, players talk. And I don't mean players talk in the locker room. I say players talk from team to team Mm -hmm. to team. So now word is getting out how the Jacksonville Jaguars run things. And it's not a good sign. And players are hearing, the, the free agent players are hearing, you know what, Jacksonville, man? Ugh, I, I don't want to go there. You hear what they're doing over there in Jacksonville? No, nah, I'm going to go someplace else. Now I get your point. Money talks, though, right? It does. And players are always going to go where the most money is. And Malik from, Jackson was going where the most money is. And, and from that standpoint... You know, Campbell could have gone home to Denver. And, and, still went where the money was. Correct. And from that standpoint, I do agree with you, Brent. But if you look at, you know, successful teams in the NFL, Super Bowl winning teams, sometimes it's a difference between one free agent signing and not having that Absolutely. free agent signing. And from that standpoint, where there's that one free agent signing that the Jaguars are trying to cater to, that are trying to coax into coming to Jacksonville, say you offer them another $2 million more than any other team. Well, maybe that $2 million isn't enough. Maybe that $2 million for that player will be like, well, it's a good deal. They want me the most, obviously, because they're paying me the most. But an extra $2 million, is it worth going there with all that crap going on? No, I'm going someplace else. So from a competitive standpoint, I think if you're Shad Khan, you have to come out and say something. And at the end of the day, I just list a couple like a couple examples. The biggest one to me, if you're a businessman and someone attacks your brand, for instance, if someone was going to come out and say, you know what, don't listen to ESPN 690. Go go listen to someplace else. Don't listen to us. I would come out, and I'm a co-host. I don't run the show, but I'm a co-host. I would come out, and I would defend it. I would say something. You know what? I'd be like, you know what? You guys are wrong. You can have your opinions, but you're wrong, and here's why. And then I'll list out facts of why those people are wrong. Why? Because it's my brand. I believe in it, and I'm passionate about it. I love doing what I do here. Well, Shad Khan's got to do the same thing, Brent, because right now he's under attack, and the whole world is watching. And there's silence. 
coming from Jaguars headquarters. Okay, so here's here's what I think's happening. I, I've known Shad Khan for how since what 2012. Yeah, <laughs> I say that like it's a big name drop. <laughs> like, yeah, I spent time on the Kismet with Shad Khan. <laughs> Uh, no, that's not the case. Um, but seriously, we've been around ShotCon. Uh, yeah. I've done plenty of interviews, one-on-one interviews, sit-down interviews, uh, decent amount of time, enough to at least know how he operates. Sure. Okay? And I think if you look at his track record, first of all, he's an unbelievable businessman. So he understands how it works. And he runs, this is not his only big business. This is his most high-profile business, but it's not his only big business. And, and to be fair, a lot of owners have that same kind of very true streak, right? So, I mean, they have a lot of business. And I'm not saying you can't treat one different than the other. But I do think right now it's a very hot emotional time. And I think his play is to stay away from the emotion because you can't win against emotion if you're in his spot. You're just going to get the backlash. First of all, everybody's pissed off because they stink. Secondly, everybody's pissed off at Tom Coughlin right now and all this other stuff. And so I think him sitting back is a little bit of let's let this simmer down. Let's collect our thoughts and give the best way to go about it instead of be reactionary. Okay, so he's shown this patience anyway with some of his coaches, with some of the um, situations. It's not like he talked three days after the Jalen Ramsey situation. He let that thing play out for two and a half, three weeks before he finally said, all right, I got to step in here. Sure. See my point? I and do, he knows but this that is the, different though than Jalen Ramsey thing. But he Brent. knows the finish line is coming in a couple weeks here as but well. Brent, that's the, a couple weeks, man. That's that's a long time away still. There's one other element to this then. And I've said this in private a lot. I don't mm-hmm. think I've said it on the radio as much. And this goes back to, to me, this all starts with the Ramsey stuff. But it really starts in 2017. In my view, when you hire Tom Coughlin, you know what the most difficult thing to do is? Fire, fire Tom, Tom Coughlin. Coughlin. <laughs> Agreed. Right? Yeah. You, you know, not there's, easy. there's a reverence around here. And by the way, social media and the, and the younger folks, and, and we appreciate it. I know you listen to the yeah. show and we love it. It's not everybody, but, though. But it's not everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there's a lot of folks that will always love Tom Coughlin for what he did, for what he has done, for what he is as a man, for Tom Coughlin, James. And they should. You know, yeah. Tom Coughlin has accomplished a lot. We should always praise Tom Coughlin, in my opinion, for what he did to bring this organization here. And again, I plant that 2017 flag uh, as part of it. He was part of it. Yeah. So uh, I also think you have to know when, okay, it's time. And it obviously is playing out like it's time. But hey, to go back to the Shad Khan part, I think he hired Tom Coughlin to do all the football things. He's not a football guy. You said it. He's not an X's and O guy. He's he doesn't not. want to be Jerry Jones. He doesn't want to be the old Daniel Snyder when he would always chime in on things, right? Yeah. He doesn't want to be that guy. He wants to hire people, let them do their job. He does. You don't hear him on the business side talk a bunch other than the state of the franchise, maybe in London. Mark Lamping talks about that stuff. Right? Correct. So Tom Coughlin is the guy that he hired to do all that stuff. When he had to jump in on the Ramsey stuff, I think that was a huge black mark against Tom Coughlin. Because the way I view it is, I hired you to do the football stuff, and why uh, do I have to jump in on the football stuff right now? Because it's gotten to this point. Mm. That is not a good look for Tom Coughlin. That's my personal belief. Yeah. On top of that, I kind of feel like that press conference – I think that was Shad Khan saying, you know what? I had to go help you when you couldn't handle the football stuff. Well, right now your football team's not very good, and we're not going to have a lot of people in that stadium, and you're going to go out there and try to help us. Yeah. So the, you're, even, you're referring to Tom Coughlin trying to sell tickets yes, more, more or less. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Even though that's really not your job mm-hmm. to go sell tickets, <laughs> but you've put us in a position where it's going to be really hard. Sure. 
So that, this is again, this is just all me talking. I don't have any inside info on it. Yeah. I'm just saying this is my view of it. This is yeah. how it went down. And I also think they quite frankly knew that he wasn't going to come off very well in that. Yeah. So go back to what I said before. The hardest thing when you hire Tom Coughlin is to fire Tom Coughlin. Well, Tom Coughlin starts looking not so great in that situation. That was a bad 20 minutes for Tom Coughlin in that news conference. Fast forward to Monday when this grievance stuff comes out. And I already believe they're clean sweeping this place anyway. And how they were going to do that with Tom Coughlin, whether it's, hey, resign or it's time to retire or we're going to put you in the pride someday, but we're moving on. We're going to change the structure around. I believe it was happening regardless. How they were going to do it, I don't know. But what this situation does is, again, it kind of hangs Tom Coughlin out there to say, you know what? You're making your own bet here, man. I mean, this is not a good look. But I'm not coming to your rescue. This is on you. This is I hired you to do it. This is this is on you. You ran our football stuff and it looks like you're running it into the ground. So from a public perception point of view, this isn't a good look for Tom Coughlin. So there's a part of me, again, this is all stuff that I've probably said in conversation with folks anyway, but I haven't really put it out there much on the radio side. But that's how I view this whole fall, Mm -hmm. the Ramsey to that crazy news conference with Coughlin, which why would he ever go out there and do that? You knew it wouldn't go over well. I said at that time you would have been better off putting Gardner Minshew in that situation to sell tickets, even though he wasn't the starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. And then this situation now and. It's up to Tom Coughlin to come and say something about this and why this is. And I don't think we're going to get it. We haven't got a statement yet. But I just I'm just telling you, man, the way this is unfolded, I think this is Shad Khan saying it's your job to do this. It's your job to fix this. It's your job to explain why it's like this. It's not my job right now. I'll do that in two weeks when I make some final decisions. That's that's really put, Brent. That, that's that, you put that very nicely. But here's my issue with it. Okay, Shad Khan firing Tom Coughlin, yeah, that's obviously a big monumental move. And like you said, Tom Coughlin carries a lot of cachet. But I think even the supporters who maybe aren't on Twitter, who aren't on Facebook, that support Tom Coughlin, I think now, after this has come out, that the Jaguars are essentially cheating, okay? They're, they're, they're cheating. They're breaking the rules. They're, they're breaking the CBA that was put in place to protect players. They're cheating. I think now that's come out, if there was ever a time to fire Tom Coughlin early, it is now. Okay? And this isn't me speaking from Austin Lane ESPN six ninety radio. This is me speaking as a former player, as a as a former player who I think has a pretty good grasp of how the modern NFL player thinks now. If you do not come out and say something, I'm talking to Shad Khan. If you do not come out and say something right now, and if you do wait two more weeks, it is going to hurt your team in the future. Because believe me when I say players talk, not only in the locker room, but they talk around the league. And when you're trying to court new players that come play for you, whether Tom Coughlin is here or not, whether the front office is here or not, it is still going to hurt you. And it is going to leave a black eye on your organization. I promise you that. And this is me being a former player. I'm just being real right now. So the fact that he hasn't come out and said something, it's frustrating to me because I can almost see the crystal ball of what's going to happen in the future if he doesn't. And, and, and that's why I'm so frustrated about it, Brent. But let me say this, okay? You thought at the same time, I think, and I'm not saying you, uh, just some folks thought, hey, come out and talk about Ramsey right now. Fix this thing right now, and it will be fixed. Well, no, it wasn't. He couldn't fix it. You couldn't yeah. fix it, but this is different, Brent. This is a this is on a a player scale. This was one player in Jalen Ramsey. I, but the thing about it, man, I, you can't convince me that whatever's happening today on Wednesday, December eighteenth, 
compared to December 29th on Sunday in 10 days, that they're going to do a lot damage, a lot more damage. The narrative's out there right now. The only way to fix it is to change the structure, change the organizational structure. Tom Coughlin being a part of that. Yeah. But whether that's Wednesday, December 18th, or Sunday, December 29th, or Monday, December 30th, I have a hard time coming along with May's doing a lot of damage. It's going to hurt you more yeah. in the next 10 days. Brett, I, I completely disagree with you here, man. Because let's say I mess up and, and I make a giant mistake, okay? Let's say the next day I don't come out and say anything. And I, and I wait two weeks to say something on my mistake. Well, two weeks later, I finally come out and release, uh, I release a press release. Hey, sorry I messed up. It won't happen again. That's not who I am. Well, two weeks later, people are going to be like, where was that right away? Okay, and then the same thing can be said for Shad Khan here. You have a chance to control the narrative right now. You don't have to wait two weeks for people like me and you and the national media and other football players and the NFLPA to say more things about you. You have a chance right now if you're Shad Khan to come out and say, you know what? This is not who we are as an organization. I do not stand for this, and changes will be made. That's all you got to say. Just that little reassurance, just that little security blanket that's going to help get players to try to believe your organization again. Because right now I'm here to tell you, you're the laughing stock of the NFL. And the only way to change that is to come out and address it and not wait two weeks. Just my opinion, though. Yeah, speaking of players, uh, hey, Kuz, we had Avery Jones before we had to break. Uh, Avery Jones talked in the locker room a short time ago about the NFLPA, about the, about the very thing. Austin's talking about the perception of the Jaguars right now uh, in the, and the culture in the last couple of years. Here's Avery Jones just a short time ago. I know we want to take care of guys and make sure they get healthy, but, I mean, a lot of guys have the means to get rehab and stuff outside the building, so I don't know what the unnecessary finding was for, but, I mean, it's really going to hurt us, you know, with the kind of down year we had this year. It's going to kind of hurt to bring free agents in with stuff like that going around. But, you know, anybody that's out there just want to know that us players personally, we didn't know anything like that was going on, uh, unfair or finding anything like that. We have a lot of guys that will stand for guys in the locker room and want to do the right thing. So definitely uh, we'll be checking on that to make sure everyone's good to go and things like that and just, you know, try to – reassure people that you know that happened but you know we're still a great organization down here that's interesting <laughs> hearing it from avery jones well, well here's avery jones trying to defend the organization saying it's still a great spot brent that's not his job that's not avery jones job to do that brent well, i understand but he could have lambasted him as well i mean this I'm is just, your time man players want a voice yeah. right the one thing about players is they don't get much of a voice. In the whole CBA thing, there'll be a couple of guys. Every, every team has a, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, it's uh, that, now you put me on the spot. Um, like, look at the spokesperson. It's, like the, it's yeah. the NFLPA representative. Outreach representative. representative. Yes. Uh, so, and I think Calais is that yeah. this year. It changes years to year, but I think Calais well, is Well, yeah, put players vote on it, and then they, they elect an official. Yeah, and yeah. you know, Avery might have been it in the past once. I'm not sure. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if he has. Uh, but... Mercedes Lewis, I think, has been in the past. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Avery was, just because usually it's the longest tenured player is yeah. usually the guy that's... Okay, I should know that, by the way, and right now it's escapes, but I'm kind of defaulting to Calais on that situation. Uh, but anyway, you don't, even in this whole CBA thing, you really don't have much of a vocal voice, a public voice, to go up against the ownership, right? You work for them mm -hmm. <laughs> in a, a, each organization. So you're not going to really too often say anything bad about ownership. Across the league. I'm not talking about here in Jacksonville. I'm talking about across the league. That doesn't happen while the people are playing, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't seem to, it, at, at least. So this was the time because you know everybody's gone. Mm. 
This is right. the time that if you want to go against the organization, we're going to hear from A.J. Boye in a bit, yeah. and he kind of says something along those lines. But if you really wanted to put it to the organization be like, yeah, this has been unbelievable around here, how bad it is. And I don't think Avery Jones had to do what he did. I don't think Calais Campbell had to do what he did in terms of what they said and protecting the organization. And it actually begs the question, listen, even if Avery Jones wasn't going to hammer, and Avery Jones is about as uh, well, Brent, transparent as there, as there is. Yeah. What, what are you shaking your head at? I'm, no, sorry, I'm sorry, Mike, because I, I completely disagree with Why you. Why not? Why Be- wouldn't they say something? Because they understand the point, Brent, where it's Calais Campbell and Avery Jones. There's a reason why they're the most tenured Jaguars on the team. Because they know if they speak out against what's going on and they really say what they want to say, it's going to cause more distractions. And more distractions lead to more questions. And more questions leading to not focusing on Atlanta. Okay? So, I don't know what Avery thinks. Okay? He'll just, I think he'll do 50 bucks and we'll get to that later. <laughs> but um, I don't know what well, Avery's thinking. He might have been fine. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know what Avery's thinking right now. Okay? But I know for sure the fact that he's trying to de-escalate the situation. Because coming out and saying, McMahon, yeah, that, that, that's BS that they find Dante Fowler that much money. That's BS that they did this and did this, did this. The more you escalate the situation, the more the distractions become. Hence why when Jalen Ramsey left, there weren't a lot of players that were celebrating saying, all right, Jalen, we'll see you later. Why? Because then more questions come out of it. Yeah, I get it. I I, I just think, isn't your first protection to the players? Like you're, 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 you're underestimating how much those guys in the locker room want to win a football game and not be distracted. I guess I am. Because to me, this isn't about the, it's a bigger picture. Yeah. Because I do think, I think guys like, especially veteran guys, do have a bigger picture point of view and saying, we're going to do what's right for us, for players. Mm-hmm. I think some players do have that point of view. Guys that were interviewed today, I think they do have that point of view. I understand it's about winning football games, too. So what will be interesting to see if they say it maybe in January. We catch up Absolutely. with them at the Super Bowl in February. Yeah. Will they then say stuff? Especially if they're not a part of the organization anymore. Yeah. You know, if, I mean, maybe that's when it comes out. If, if it was going to come out, which I think some stuff will come out, I bet it's going to come out then. All right. Uh, let's uh, get to A.J. Boye before we take a break because he probably was the most vocal about how this looks for the Jags going forward, even though Avery just mentioned free agency too yeah. and said it's not a good thing if you're trying to accumulate players in the offseason. In the offseason, you have players from other leagues. They come and ask me about the fines. Like, is it true y'all getting fined for stuff like this? And they laugh at us because they think that I'm lying. But now that stuff like this is coming out, it's true. We got fined for it. So maybe we'll fix it ahead of time. But one thing I can say, we get fined here. We learn from it. And we try to avoid it from here on out. So. All right. There you go. Uh, players are laughing at you. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's, that's not a good look, right? Um, now, I also think you got to be careful to make it club med, as everybody always likes to say mm-hmm. in the NFL, because I don't know if that works either. You know, again, mm-hmm. unless you have some great stability. We talked about it earlier in the show. If you have the Pete Carroll's and Russell Wilson marriage, you can hide and you can create any kind of atmosphere you want. If you have the Belichick and Brady marriage and you win in football games and the resume says what it says, you can kind of create whatever the heck atmosphere you want. Those are two different atmospheres, and they've created the two different ways, and people buy in because you know why? You've got those two guys in each organization, and you have a lot of Ws, plus a Lombardi trophy, at least one of them in Seattle, and many of them now in New England. A.J. Boye had a little bit more, I think, including a, a situation when he was fined. Here it is. I think one, but it was it was more of just miscommunication. You know, that was like in 2017 when we were all coming together. You know, I've 
been taught not, not to really go to things that don't work for me, but what don't work for me might work for somebody else, and they're going to force everybody to do it. And I didn't show up because I did something else. So uh, I paid the fine, tried the pill. I couldn't take it, but I just was like, all right, even though it doesn't benefit me, I'm still going to do it. So. Uh, that's uh, talking about, I think it sounded like an off-season mm-hmm. requirement. Yeah. Shouldn't be a requirement. Maybe you can go get that back. I'm, I'm sure you can. Yeah, get a Christmas <laughs> bonus as well. And listen, I get it. This is the it's the day of the outspoken football player and the self-aware football player. But even when I play it, and I'm sure it's the same way now, where when you have these grievances, Brent, they're not the easiest to just bring forward to the table because it's almost showing like, you know what, if I file this grievance, it's showing that I don't agree with the way things are being run. And that can hurt you. That can be detrimental to you in the long run with another team because mm-hmm. word gets out, right? So yeah. I think that's kind of what A.J. Boyle was getting at a little bit as well. I think that's a great point. I think, listen, nobody wants to go to HR with a complaint. That's an uncomfortable thing to do. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what this is. It's going to HR with a complaint. Yeah. only difference is people are getting fined $99,000. Yep. <laughs> or... $50 from Avery Jones if you don't pay me pretty soon. It's yeah. going to be more. Uh, I think the – you see the market lately? You see the interest lately? Yeah, I it's think it should be pretty good. It. Yeah, let's I get mean, it. You could have made that into at least $58 by now. <laughs> uh, when we come back, National Signing Day. It was a big one around here for a couple of quarterbacks, and one of them joins us in studio fresh off a decision made. We'll talk about it. High school football all the way to the college ranks. House Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Miami, UCF. Who's winning the day? Across the country, we'll talk about it on ESPN 690. All right, let's break from the Jaguars talk and grievance gate for at least a little bit because you know what's a big day around the country? National Signing Day. They moved it up a couple years ago, and here we are, great Christmas presents for families all over the country. Without a doubt. And for college coaches all over the country, too, as they get it done. And there is a second one in February, but uh, this has become a pretty big one, this move to December. 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 Wow, did you hear that? <laughs> I did hear that. Did you hear that? That's a Rhode Island accent coming Oh, up. yeah, it's all right, man. I mean, can you save that? Because that's I still like have my first... Wisconsin accent all the time, so I'm not going to say <laughs> anything about wow. it. Wow. Um, I just remember the days having a sign with Ashland University as uh, really an emotional time for me. Oh, yeah? How about you from Murray well, State? Well, basically what happened, you just basically sent the check and you said, can I come play here? And they said yes? Yes, I okay. paid and they, I said, can I walk on? Well, you understand yes. my story, a small FCS school in Murray you State University. I was a zero-star recruit out of Still trying out of high to become school, a star. Trying to become a star still. And uh, basically what happened was is that I signed uh, my letter of intent without ever visiting the university because they offered me a scholarship three days before signing period. And I took it because it was a scholarship. Well, <laughs> that was right up in the 11th hour. And the yeah. young man we have in studio right now on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. And by the way, you can listen in your car, ESPN690.com, the TuneIn app. You can also watch it so you can see that young man right here in studio on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, all the above. Uh, but that's Jeff Sims. And he had a little bit of an 11th hour move to make as well because he was committed to Florida State. And then, of course, Willie Taggart got let go. And that changed after a meeting with Mike Norvell, he reopens his recruitment. And Jeff Sims, congratulations. Welcome aboard. Thank Tell you. everybody where you went. Like, let's make pretend it's 930 in the morning again <laughs> at Sandalwood High School. Where are you going to go to school for the next four years, Jeff? I'll be attending Georgia Tech. <laughs> I love good. it. Hey, we're going to spin that into a announce live here on Action Sports. Of course. Sports <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sure. Let's do it. Yep. Take <laughs> crowd noise. I like that. All yeah. right, man. What a wild ride this is. I was just talking to your parents, uh, Asia Sims and Jeff Sims, and we should let everybody know, and I think we have in the past in June, we had Mike Sims Walker, former Jags receiver, your yeah. teammate mm-hmm. on the Jags. Well, that's Jeff's uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, close relationship there. 
and he lives up in Atlanta, so yeah. Atlanta will be a good spot for you. But how did you get here? Uh, tell us about the last couple of weeks when Willie Taggart got fired and, and how it all transpired for you to end up at Georgia Tech. Um, When Coach Taggart got fired, I really just held my ground and just stayed strong in my commitment just to see who they would bring in and not want to close any doors that had been open for me. So um, and then things didn't turn out the way I thought they were. So I just felt it in my heart and prayed about it and talked it over with my parents. And we decided that it was in my best interest to decommit. And then we were going back and forth between Georgia Tech and Maryland. And then like two days before signing day, like I felt it in my heart that Georgia Tech was the right spot for me. Very good. That's awesome. Uh, just to add to that timeline, you met with Mike Norvell, right? That mm-hmm. was an accurate report. He came to Jacksonville, new coach at Florida State. Yeah. How did that meeting go? How does that work? Uh, because it's a different system, different guy, guy you don't know very well, but yeah. I'm sure he's very good, very good coach, a well-respected, nice man. But how does that go when he, when you guys are trying to decide, all right, is this still the right fit now that I'm the new coach at Florida State? Yeah, I have much respect for Coach Norvell, just how he came in and told me, like, told me the things that he did and just how he told me straight up. And I would say that it didn't go as I expected, but I just I actually thank him for telling me that so I, I can know what was, deci- what was the decision to make. Very good. I like that. Uh, good transparency there. It could go the other way yeah. in the recruiting world. So <laughs> yeah. I really, that's a that's I'm a very glad good he thing. didn't come in and just sugarcoat anything. And then I got up there and he was a totally different person. Very good, Jeff. I remember you know when I signed for my scholarship and everything, and it obviously wasn't a, as prestigious as yours. Is going to Georgia Tech now? Hey, now don't, uh, go Racers. Go Racers. <laughs> hey, we got the coaching staff coming in this year. Let's go Racers. I know. <laughs> but um, from, from your perspective, though, you know, I mean, it, it's hard enough just to be a teenager your age, right? Yeah. And you set yourself up to go to Florida state there's mm-hmm. some changes that are made and obviously you decommit and you go someplace else and i can tell from just your family that walking in here you have a great support system yeah. so i'm sure they helped you in this process which is fantastic because a lot of kids don't have that but from your perspective what were some of the uh, i guess what checked off the boxes for you to either choose maryland or georgia tech what were you looking for really distance mm-hmm. um just how genuine the coaches was at georgia tech and then life after football that was a big part and you know i can't play football for the rest of my life so just having that georgia tech degree means a lot that's awesome smart good, kid, yeah, very smart yeah. uh, well-grounded and, and those are all important things i wonder about recruiting again i i, I said to your folks uh, when you guys walked in here i think this is hard yeah. i think so many people want to be like you guys they want to be coveted everybody wants to be talked about and, and talk to be a star and hey you are a reality recruit on the friday night blitz <laughs> last year i mean you got a lot of attention a lot of love that's not a bad thing yeah. right everybody likes that i mean heck we, we want to get a lot of love here on the show so hopefully people are listening absolutely but people like that but it also can be overwhelming I mean, you've got mm-hmm. texts all the time and mail all the time. And I, I guess there's a point where he's like, all right, enough's enough. Just and you want in. this thing over. Yeah. When did you reach that point? And I know you got thrown for a little bit of a loop in the final couple of weeks. But when did it get that way for you that you're like, man, all right, let's just let's come on, sign and day, get here quick. I mean, really, it kind of ended for me when I committed to Florida State okay. and like started back up when I decommitted. Yeah, for a yeah. couple of for a, <laughs> for week a couple there. of days. Yeah, 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 a couple of days So here. it was it was a smooth process for me. So I really can't say that it was like frustrating or anything. Does it become overwhelming though? Did yes, you feel it that? Really, it really does. Is it, it does. hard to go to practice, be a normal kid, uh do your schoolwork, <laughs> do the chores mom and dad might have for you? Any of those kind of things? Yeah, sometimes cuz I get I get distracted and 
that takes me off course of what I'm doing. You obviously have some other teammates that have been highly recruited as well. How much fun was this morning at Sandalwood High School? Kobe Baines, where did he end up picking, or has he Miami or Louisville? Louisville. He yeah. picked Louisville. Uh, Derek Bermudez, uh, Ole Miss or Pitt? Ole Miss. He did go Ole Miss after yeah. the changes there uh, with Lane Kiffin. Uh, Jalen Embry going to Bowling Green. Tony mm-hmm. Forrest to UCF. I mean, yeah. think about where you got a little talent at uh, Sandalwood, we know. Uh, Javante Kinsey going to Bowling Green still. Yep. And then Jacquez Robinson, Alabama guy, mm-hmm. uh, who signed this morning. How much fun to go through this process with those guys? How much do you guys talk back and forth through the last couple of years when college coaches are coming and calling and all the experiences you're getting? Yeah, it's really fun just to see all of us grinding together and then shining together, honestly. And, like, some of those guys that were on that table I've known since I was, like, well, one of them I know since for a while, and like uh, other two I've known since elementary school, and we just we all grind together, and we just wanted to see this work out for us, and it did. I always think it's interesting of what you fall in love with in the recruiting process. I think from what I'm gathering from you is that it's kind of the coaches that 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 you relate. They, they mean something to you. Mm-hmm. It's smart because you spend a lot of time with them. It so is. You have to get is. along with them. Uh, but let's be honest. Obviously, Jeff, just, Jeff Sims, by the way, with us from Sandalwood, mm-hmm. committed to uh, Georgia Tech, uh, live with us on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. I mean, he didn't commit live on ESPN 690, but we kind of <laughs> said he did. Um, so we've already spun that. But, it, you know, you already had it. You, you get attracted to a coach in Willie Taggart, and then the coaches change. I mean, there's no guarantee just because you're committing for four years that guy's going to be there for four years, so it makes it difficult. But what I wanted to ask you, everybody's building these big facilities, yeah. these big football fields, the SEC, the ACC, these big atmospheres. It's hard not to be sold on that stuff as a kid. Academics play a role in it. Yeah. But Loxley at Maryland, great recruiter, mm-hmm. great man, obviously. People fall in love with him. Taggart, Florida State, same thing. I think you kind of give us an indication Norvell might be that way. But Jeff Collins really did it for you, it sounded like, at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Why was your attraction to the coach, maybe instead of the material things, at these universities? I mean, those material things are at every university. So, I mean, that stuff really doesn't matter. And you're going to be with your coach most of the time, so you got to build that relationship. And whatever coach is showing you that he's really wanting to help you and help you get better, that's where you got to go. Jeff, I loved your answer where you said you understand you can't play football for forever, right? Yeah. And you picked Georgia Tech because they have a great program as well of what you're going to be studying. Um, from that standpoint, from my understanding, you'll be going there in January, correct, mm-hmm. to go there early. What is, what is your mindset right now? Because you said you can't play football forever, but the time that you are going to play football, you're a pretty damn good player, right? Yeah. So from that perspective, what kind of mindset are you looking to bring to Georgia Tech when you get on campus? I'm bringing a competitive mindset a winning mindset and i just want to be the best me i can be um i'm going to be a leader and i'm just going to do everything the right way listen to my coaches pray about it keep god first and just grind give us a sense of georgia tech right now because we think georgia tech and we think paul johnson and we think they're going to run the football and if you're a quarterback or calvin johnson for that matter <laughs> uh, you're probably uh, not going to uh, throw the ball around and catch too many passes well now it's jeff collins the, yes. it's his his uh, program uh, what are what are they running up there? What, what excites you about what they might do on offense? He's a defensive guy, mm-hmm. but what's what's it going to be like with you playing quarterback, competing for a quarterback spot, yeah. um, and that kind of offense? What what are they doing up there? The offense is going to be very explosive. I can tell you that. Um, going to put up points and take take a take a lot of load off the defense, basically. 
That's very good. Uh, did you see the reaction from Collins and the coaching staff? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I tell you what, you know, I saw that and I was like, I'm glad Jeff's coming in here a little bit later because if I saw, it's cool signing and everybody in the gymnasium, you know, it's signing and day goes nuts and, and claps and, and you, it's finally done. But it kind of like uh, warmed my belly a little bit to see the coaches get that excited about <laughs> Yeah. Like, that was kind of cool, right? Yeah, it felt great. You know, it, it confirmed why I made that decision. Well, and you were, you know, in, in recruiting ways, they call it a pipe piper sometimes, where mm-hmm. a guy, you go get this guy, uh, player, and then he really does a lot of the recruiting work for you. Other people want to come because he's there, or he'll spread the word. You did a great job of that, actually, with Willie Taggart in Florida State. Yeah. I mean, you had that spear in the ground on Twitter and everywhere else. You said, come on over. Yeah. Now you got to carry that mantle a little bit to Georgia Tech. Yeah. But I think that's probably why they were excited. I mean, you, you're in a, when you pick a place, you're all in on that place. Mm-hmm. And do you see that as part of your role, especially going there early? Like, hey, Kids from Northeast Florida or people that you see on seven on seven camps. We're doing something special here. We're we're building it. Be a part of it. Come with me. Yeah, it's just one of the best guys around you and the best guys that can help your team out. And, you know, you got to be a good person. You got to have a good character. And that's things that I look for. I sound like a recruiter, but, <laughs> but yeah, you just got to like it, man. I just, I just like having like minded people around me. So just doing that and getting those people to the school that I'm going to, it feels good. What's the QB situation there? What are you going to have to compete with? And will you be given a chance, right? You're going to be an early, you're going to be a young college football player yeah. in the spring. Uh, do you have a chance? Do you view this like, hey, I can take my time and, and eventually win the job? What's your approach? My approach is to go in there and compete and be the best me I can be every day and try to win the job. It's kind of like sounds like my interview for you, right, Brent? When I came on the radio show. <laughs> Actually, you're the only guy that wanted to do it with me. <laughs> the last resort all right what is what it is i still got the job uh jeff so you know you're a dual threat quarterback Mm -hmm. and right now it's a good time to be a dual threat quarterback it seems like whether it's on my fantasy football team with (laughs) jackson from the ravens uh whether it's Deshaun watson you know in the mvp candidacy from your perspective i mean do you kind of model your game after those guys now i mean do do you feel kind of like this surge of the dual threat quarterback it's kind of taken over the game not only at college football but also in the nfl I model my game after myself, really. I okay. don't model my game after anybody. I go out there and I just play. and I, I react to situations, and I just do what I do. Who's your favorite guy to watch right now in the NFL? Lamar Jackson. <laughs> well, but, but of course, man. Yeah. I, I mean, no doubt, though. I mean, so if, is he, does he look different playing the QB position from your eyes the way you see the QB position? Oh, yeah, he definitely does. You can tell he put in a lot of work, and you can tell that he studies a lot because he's – He's off the charts throwing this year, most better than most quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Absolutely. Now, that's what's going to change, right? I mean, the competition gets so much better mm-hmm. in the ACC. You're a supreme athlete, even though you have a lot of good athletes on your team. There's a ton of good athletes in Northeast Florida. But you're good. you can do you can get away with things in high school mm-hmm. that you probably won't be able to get away with on the football field now. Mm-hmm. How much maturing do you have to do from the quarterback position, from a skill set position, to translate your game at a very high level to the ACC and Georgia Tech? A lot. I mean, as in my head, I'm not satisfied with my high school career at all. I, did, I feel like I didn't really meet the standards that I wanted to, but I'm blessed to have the accomplishments that I have. And ever since the season ended this year, it's just been work, work, work every day just to get better and be prepared for college and just get better every day. That's a great mindset to have. Uh, a little background real quick uh, on Jeff Sims. He, Marcel Robinson, obviously with Action Sports Shacks, uh, 
for our Friday Night Blitz show, for years we did this reality recruit segment. And so Jeff and Carson Beck last year were the subjects of our reality recruit. Basically, we follow them around, off the field, on the field, mm-hmm. every Friday night. Marcel did a great job with it. still online. You can check it out uh, on ActionNewsJacks.com, our YouTube channel, all those things. Get more about Jeff. But... Part of it, my favorite one that sticks out to me is you mowing lawns with your dad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, is it, are you off the hook now? Like, do you not have to mow lawns anymore? I mean, he's not paying for college, I don't think. I mean, it's so. not, it's not that I have to. Sometimes I choose to most of the time, but I don't have time to some, no more really. Cause I really, like I said, work out, go to training, go to school. Well, now I don't have to go to school anymore, so I may have some more time to do it. So there's no truth to the rumor you went to school early to get out of the Saturday morning mowing lawns. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but I like I like going out there with my dad because I think it helps us bond and it keeps me humble and it it shows me how to work for things that I want. I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you one more time good, since man. we're on the topic. Uh, Asia Sims, your mom, and Jeff Sims, your dad. Uh, Here's your chance, man. You, you're obviously a well-grounded young man. You had great support system. Uh, it's got to mean a lot to what they've put into you and your academics and your athletics and put you in a position to be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they mean to you uh, they mean to be able to, to put me. you here? They mean a lot to me. I mean, when I started high school, I told them that they would not have to pay for college. And I'm just blessed that it's happening, you know. And I thank them for pushing me every day and just not letting up. And not letting me slack off because sometimes I would. <laughs> That's good. Need that push. And, yeah. and of course, Mike Sims Walker, your uncle, I think he's been a big part of this he's too, been right? A big part. I don't want to take anything away from your parents, but I think he's been a big part of it too. Yeah, I think, I think him too for a lot of things. He, he has my back. As you can tell, he has my back. <laughs> <laughs> and I love my uncle. You know, he helps me a lot. He helps me with recruiting, um, coverages, like knowing everything about football. And when I get to college, it's going to get a new. Like, he's just going to be there every day. Jeff, one of the cool things about what I get to do on this show is I get to kind of get the psychology of players, right? And you're a football player, and I'm a former football player, so I like talking to players, you know, that play football. And from your perspective, whether it's middle school, Pop Warner, high school, or not going to college, or someday if you make it to the pros, um, the quarterback position is all about leadership, yes. right? And I think you're a great leader at Sandwood, obviously. You got to this position now. But from your perspective, what kind of leadership qualities do you bring, and what kind of leadership qualities will you have going forward to, to going to Georgia Tech? I'm a very energetic guy. So, I like it. <laughs> um, I'll lead by example more than like like yelling at people and stuff. That's not me. Mm-hmm. I don't do all that because that's not my job, really. Mm-hmm. So I lead by example. I work as hard as I can, and they'll follow, you know. Um, I do tend to talk a lot of trash, though, so I think that helps a lot. <laughs> a little swag. Yeah, something wrong going with that. against the defense, talk a lot of trash. <laughs> you know, you got your offense behind you wanting to come back at them. Sure, sure. So that, that's... That's what I bring. Just make like sure it. you back it up, man. Yeah. Uh, just make sure you back it up. Carson Beck going to Georgia. We got Georgia, Georgia Tech, Mandarin, Santa. It's been a fun little ride measuring you and Carson along the way. Have you enjoyed that? Obviously, you guys have a friendship now. Yeah, I've enjoyed it, except for when we play each other because, you know, <laughs> he beat me. That didn't go well. But, yeah. But, but you um, have to get him back, man. Now gotta you got a chance to get college. him back. Yeah. Not too many guys get that chance. Now you do. <laughs> yeah, but I trained with Carson. We played Pop Warner together. It's just crazy how we're both going to the – college and playing against each other through high school playing against each other through college and it's just a crazy story 
Hey, man, awesome stuff. Congratulations to the entire family. Congratulations to you. Looks like a great decision. Congratulations to Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech. If you're <laughs> listening and you're a Yellow Jacket fan, I think you know you're getting a good young man, a good quarterback, um, and it will be a, a nice addition to the program for Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech. My favorite thing about covering high school sports, we've been doing it for 20 years now, no matter what area of the country is, you get to see this part of it, mm-hmm. where the kids go from the next spot. And then, hey, maybe we'll be talking about you in the NFL or doing something else, maybe a radio show. Like down the road. Not ours. <laughs> not ours, man. He, he's not going to school for that now. Don't forget it. Just, just, let, me okay. give you, just let me give you one piece of Relax. advice. Relax. <laughs> don't go fight in the MMA. <laughs> because you might look like that. Yeah. <laughs> you see this nose, man? It, didn't uh, come at, it came out of price. Oh, That's all I'm man. <laughs> Jeff Sims, congratulations, man. Thank you. You guys have a good, happy holiday season. I think it'll be a good one uh, now that this is over. You signed, sealed, and delivered. Early and rolling to Georgia Tech. Pretty awesome stuff. Uh, we've got to take a break. When we come back, we talk a little bit more NFL. We will get back to the college. I'll give you updates on Florida and Florida State and Georgia. Maybe we'll slide Georgia Tech in there, too, now uh, as well and see how everybody's doing in the rankings here on this uh, signing day, 2019. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for hanging out. We'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. system is set up. There's this, we're, work, we're working on the CBA right now. We're trying to get more clarity, trying to create uh, you know, uh, just a, a you know, better language so that everybody kind of understands we're on the same page. That's Calais Campbell talking more about that CBA, talking about the grievances against the Jacksonville Jaguars, the NFLPA, and they get their hands full sometimes uh, with these organizations, and now with the upcoming CBA, uh, Calais Campbell trying to shed a little light on that, and uh, we go back to that topic uh, here in just a moment. Rhino Halloran will join us in just a few moments. Hey, what a nice young man Jeff Sims is. Congratulations. Great to spend a little time with the family. He's had a busy day, had a busy few weeks, months, all that stuff, uh, but we appreciate him stopping in here on National Signing Day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was great to finally meet him. I heard a lot about him. And listen, usually I'm the guy who would give somebody some advice, like going to you know play college football. I'd be like, hey man, you know, just so and so. But I mean, seeing that guy's support system and, and seeing just how many good people he has in his corner. He doesn't need advice from me. I think that kid's going to be okay, man. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's a good talent, a good young man. But it's hard, man. It's hard. The recruiting cycle. It looks so much fu- like so much fun. I just think it's really hard. It's really hard for these kids, especially the younger age. We were kind of talking a little bit like a Joey Gatewood. I mean, Gatewood had been committed to – he's a Bartram Trail kid, been committed, committed, committed uh, for so long. And, you know, a year and a half into that thing, it doesn't work out at Auburn. He's out the door and, and on to something else. And that wasn't even with a coaching change. So uh, there's a lot to digest for young and, people in that spot. It's a lot of pressure on them to make a life choice at a young age. And the support system certainly helps. Yeah. If you don't have the support system, it's really hard. And listen, it was hard for me. I didn't have a lot of choices. But it was always, am I going to play basketball or football in college? So that was a decision I had to make. So it was stressful for me. And keep in mind, back in 2006, I didn't have a cell phone. There wasn't really Twitter. There wasn't Facebook yet. And it was hard for me back then. I can't imagine the student-athletes these days. Well, it's kind of like Ryan O'Halloran when uh, 
newspapers are calling and they want a writer. It's like, <laughs> man, will you stop calling me? I got a good job here at the yeah. Denver Post. That's what O'Halloran's probably saying. Uh, National Signing Day 2019. We break from that for a moment. I will give you an update on Florida, Florida State, and the rest. But now Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post joins us. And wow, we got another juicy topic. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martin, Austin Lane, 5 o'clock hour. Ryan, oh, weather report, please. Time and temperature, fellas, uh, 306 here in the Denver area, and a A-plus day, 58 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. Oh, you're spoiled over there oh, right oh. now. Is it going to be spoiled. a white Christmas? Um, I don't think it's going to be. It's supposed to be 60 on Sunday for the game, but that can change in a couple hours. Oh, wow. Uh, it, it certainly can in the Denver area. All right, let's get right to it, man. How about the news that's out this week on the Jacksonville Jaguars? Your reaction to that? couple things, actually a lot of things. Uh, you know, we wrote the first story in the Times Union about two and a half years ago about this when I got a tip saying, hey, Tom Coughlin has sent letters to returning players saying we want you in Jacksonville for a physical before the offseason program starts. That's not allowed. He wanted them to pay their own way to get there. That's not allowed. Um, so it's always been bubbling underneath the surface for the last couple of years. Uh, this is an embarrassing story for this franchise. It's one thing to lose on the field. Shot Khan obviously doesn't like that. He, he expects a better performance. But when the name of his franchise is tainted and, 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 and lambasted, um, like it has been the last couple of days, and continuing inside the locker room of the Jaguars today, um, this is a black eye for the Jaguars. Ryan, in terms of Shad Khan, you know, being a billionaire that he is, in my opinion, when you have the money, you have the power to control the narrative. And right now, it's been all quiet, you know, uh, at the front office front from Shad Khan's perspective. We haven't heard from Tom Coughlin yet. All we've heard from is Doug Marone, who obviously can't really clue anybody in what's going on. And you, you've heard from the players. Does Shad Khan need to come out? and at least issue a statement? Because in my opinion right now, you have a chance to at least change the narrative a little bit because NFL players are watching this, players are talking about this, and us in the media, we're talking about it as well. And right now, in my opinion, the Jacksonville Jaguars are the laughing stock of the NFL. I would agree with that part, Austin. Um, the only thing I can deduce by Shad not putting out a statement, which is which has been his M.O. throughout his tenure when times are – when, when the story lines uh, demanded some kind of reaction, he's already made his decision. He's going to fire Tom Coughlin after the season. So I think in his mind, just wait 12 more days before talking about it. You know, if he issues a statement now saying, I don't condone this, this is an embarrassment of the franchise, I think, I think a big part of him will feel like he's kicking somebody when he's on the way out. Uh, but it needs to be addressed eventually. I think it will be about two weeks from yesterday or two weeks uh, coming up on Monday after the uh, season ends. Um, but um, it's not a good look. But, I, you know, I would have loved for Shad to come out and say, hey, this is unacceptable. You know, and he had to know about it because these investigations have been going on for two years. So it's, uh, you know, you don't want to say the owner's culpable, but this was – but, you know, so I don't want to say this is a organization-wide failure. I think this, this, falls on, this falls on the top of the head of one guy. And, Ryan, from your perspective, and we, we can all see the writing on the wall, right? Like, the coaching staff will probably be let go. Tom Coughlin will probably be gone. But in your opinion, why not just 
let him go right now. Because if anything, you have the trump card. You you have stats that have come out. You have the NFLPA that has come out and you know issued this statement saying it's not good in Jacksonville right now, and it falls on Tom Coughlin. If you're Shad Khan, why not get ahead of the situation and let Tom Coughlin go right now? Um, I think the only thought on that one is is that Tom has told him that he's going to retire after the season, and that means he doesn't have to be paid. So if, if, if Coughlin has been up front with ownership about that, then you just wait it out. But here's my thing, and I brought this up to a couple other people, is can Shad Khan fire Tom Coughlin for cause and not pay him? Uh, because this is, this, is, this is behavior unbecoming of an executive in pro football. But I don't think it's going to come to that. I think these, the parting of the ways will happen relatively quickly after the season. Just a, a quick follow-up, too. So you said Shad Khan had to know this was probably going on. And if that's the case, I mean, where does the responsibility fall on the owner to make sure that this doesn't happen, right? Because this isn't just 1%, 2%. 25% of the league grievances of, from 2017, I think 2018, were filed by the Jacksonville Jaguars. How much of this just falls on Shad Khan directly? I think a, I think a lot should. Um and if I'm Roger Goodell, that's the question I'm asking to Shad this week. When did you know it? How much did you know? Because just like everything on the field falls on the head coach, everything else from business, ticketing, performance, players, all start all stops with the owner. That's why it's his team. So um, that's one of the questions I would have for ownership uh, the next time Shad's available is, you know, take me through this from your perspective. Um I'm sure there were things that were left out if he was in the loop. Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post uh, joined us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, Ryan, you know Tom Coughlin's name around here. Obviously, you know it in the NFL. I mean, two-time Super Bowl champ, a uh, long list of, of very positive things in the NFL as a coach. Hasn't been so great uh, from an executive standpoint, although I do point out 2017. That's on the resume, and that's good and can't be forgotten in my opinion. I guess what I'm getting around to is these kind of things, the last couple of years in general, the Ramsey wanting out, the grievances, uh, in three years, five years, ten years, do you think it tarnishes a legacy that's a pretty darn good one in Jacksonville and, and really not a bad one around the league? Um, I think it should. I think it will because f- three, five years from now, when you when you hear that name, what's the first thing you're going to think of? Besides the two Super Bowl wins with the Giants, you're going to think about grievances. That's a fact of life. Um, you know, I won't forget 2017, nor should Jaguar fans. That's, that's a year where everything came together, but they weren't able to build on it. And, these, you know, the thing about this that should be concerning, these are self-inflicted wounds. I mean, during the course of a football season, you're going to have enough distractions by playing better teams, by losing people to injury, but... This is a mess that he created, just like the Ramsey-Telvin thing in the spring. That was a mess created by him. Um, and that's why I'm loving Doug Marone's press conferences these days, because you're not hiding his disdain for this. Well, you bring up a good point on Doug Marone. We brought it up earlier in the show. Does some of this almost let Marone off the hook for these last couple of seasons, especially this one, given the fact you kind of know what he's working with now and up against and why he changed his approach this year and everything in that system inside that organization is not on the same page. Uh, Does it do anything to potentially salvage his role in that building, his job in that building, because he wasn't put in a very good position, it looks like, over these last couple of years? Uh, 
Well, Doug deserves a fair share of the blame for the on-field performance. I, uh, I'll give you that. Um, I'm not going to give him a complete pass, but also I'm going to give him a little bit of pass and realize who he's been reporting to the last three years. It is not easy. It was not easy for these guys in that building when they were winning. You know that, Brent. Yeah. So when, when the losing kicked in, I'm sure the angst got in overdrive. And I think if you're Doug, the way – I mean, I, I could just wait 12 days – and see what happens and, and just move on because I, I think even he expects that he, he wouldn't be retained. I think the key part of it moving forward is, does Dave Caldwell survive all this? Uh, does Shad Khan look at this and say, hey, maybe some kind of continuity is better because of the drafts they had, Dave and Brian not included, but also some of the picks they have coming up? Does he feel like a softer transition is needed where you can get to keep the GM and then have him lead a head coaching search? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see on, on that part of it. Uh, you know, one thing I did say, Austin, we said earlier in the show is that Doug Marone, I, I do think that, I think, uh, by the way, Ryan, there will be sweeping changes regardless, but I think Doug Marone will be without a job in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I do think he's helped himself going forward. I, I think people inside NFL buildings, they know that. They know that the walls talk, right? People, yeah. Just like players talk, people talk and they're going to know like, Oh my gosh, this must have been tough. You know, yeah. and they well, see a Doug Marone well, that's kind of rallied and battled through this. I think over the course of of this this year, Ryan. Well, I, I think I think when when Doug Marone becomes available, probably not as a coordinator because he hasn't called plays before. There are going to be teams that are going to say, if we can hire Doug as our old line coach, we're going to fire the guy we have right now. Hmm. And so, if he wants to work next year, he'll be able to, uh, just like a lot of these assistants will. But it just won't be in Jacksonville. Ryan, as Brent just said, you know, players talk around the league, especially in 2019, right, with with the modern era NFL player. And and, and I kind of gave my former player's perspective a little bit of just how detrimental this NFLPA letter, this statement, and also what players probably in that locker room for the Jacksonville Jaguars are saying to other teams, um, you know, when they talk to each other. You've been around players a lot, and you've been around different teams and different franchises and different locker rooms. In your perspective, just how detrimental um, is this letter from the NFLPA, this statement saying they urge players not to sign in Jacksonville? How detrimental is this to the Jaguars going forward and trying to get some of those free agent signings who are going to be so essential to starting this, you know, a, a new base when they tear this whole thing down? Well, I think it's detrimental until they make changes. So it's going to fester here for the next couple of weeks. Before I get to that, just one other thing about. Play, I mean, every locker room I've been in, Austin, players bitch about management. It's a mm-hmm. fact of life. Mm-hmm. That goes with any job ever. True. You're not getting paid enough. You're not getting treated well enough, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. It makes for good conversation and stuff. You know, I see some people saying, well, there's a disconnect between the players and Tom Coughlin. There shouldn't be a connection in it whatsoever. You shouldn't have to deal with this guy ever. So uh, I don't, uh, you know, it'd be a bigger problem if there's a disconnect between players and Marone. But to answer your question about detrimental, money talks. And. If a month from now the Jaguars have a new coach and new coordinators and, a, and, and they create free agent money, you know, it's going to be a talking point when they start talking to their agents during the combine is, hey, the person responsible for those grievances is no longer working for us. We're going to move forward. This didn't happen before that person got here. We want to be a first-class organization. And maybe you have to pay maybe 125 130 cents on the dollar to make a signing happen. Yeah, um, and a lot of people thought those would be the situations with free agents for the Jags years ago, and they had a lot of money then, and they could do that then. They have a little bit less money now, 
to be able to do that. So getting guys like Malik Jackson, they won those bids. They, mm-hmm. Calais Campbell, they won that bid. They lost the Olivia Vernon one, but they didn't lose a lot of bids for guys that they really were trying to chase. Might be a little bit different now because of the dollars that are available for the Jaguars. We'll see how much exactly could be available. All right, uh, we got to let you go, but let's hit a football thing or two. Pro Bowl, um, snubs, anything like that, anything catch your attention from all the announcements? Uh, obviously around here, Calais Campbell voted in for the Jags. Well, I think with Calais, um, and also I'll throw Von Miller at the Broncos. A lot, of, a lot about the Pro Bowl is you're getting rewarded for past performance. I'm sure Calais will be the first one to tell you this hasn't been his best year with the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. But once you get into that conversation, once you're respected by teammates around the league, players around the league, you're gonna it's gonna help you get that vote. Uh, I mean, 12 Ravens stood out. Uh, that means those alternates better be damn ready to get to Orlando because if the Ravens make the Super Bowl, a lot of that ro- that whole roster is going to be basically turned over. Hey, hey, Ryan, is that too many for a team? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying this should be like Major League Baseball and every team's got to rep- be represented, but in, in a league that's 24 positions, essentially, or however many there were uh, for each conference, and one team's getting 12 guys, it almost felt like a little too much. Yeah, yeah, and, and you throw in there uh, a couple of them were specialists, which are sort of voted separately. True, fullback uh, and punt but, and kicker. Yeah. yeah. So, but but I do I do say I don't think you ever want to put a limit. I think this was an abnormal year. I mean, the Rams had I think double digits last year, but but also I, I'd rather have twelve Ravens than making sure they wedge a giant or a dolphin player onto the Pro Bowl roster. That's a good call. Uh, Ryan, real quick, um, you know, Von Miller has been a, the, face, the face of the franchise now for the Broncos for a while. And after that last game, he kind of came out and he was frustrated, to say the least. And he was very transparent in, in how he felt. Um, in your opinion, like, is this a guy that's going to be a Bronco for life here? Um, and also, if he's not, I mean, is that a mistake, I guess? Let's put it this way. Uh, when I ran into Von Monday in the locker room, I said, Thanks for writing my story after the game because that was a dog game and he was the best part of it because I was standing two feet from him at that podium and he he came in he gave an opening statement he was off and running it was you look at it two ways one he wants to be part of the solution he was telling people hey this is not good enough or two he's trying to grease the skids for his exit exit by saying hey I'm 30 the window's closing. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, he's going to backtrack tomorrow during his usual podium appearance, I'm guessing. But it was measured in its tone, but the frustration was clear. You know, he probably felt two years ago this team was going to be a perennial playoff contender. Well, now they're looking at a fourth straight year out of the postseason. He's seeing his career, you know, on on the back nine. So um, I thought it was very honest, very raw, and probably very needed. Yeah, pretty good stuff uh, by Von Miller. Uh, still a very good player in this league and obviously one of the leaders. But uh, you're right, 30 years old, you, you start seeing that window close a little bit. Uh, hey, lastly, NFL set up pretty nicely these last two weekends, aren't they? They don't have a lot of spots available yet. But think about Eagles and Dallas playing here in Week 16. Uh, I think uh, San Fran has the Rams vital game. And then how about has the league ever closed on maybe a bigger game? I mean, are we going to have that discussion? And I'm sure they have, but. It, this San Francisco Seattle game to finish things could be the difference between first seed and fifth seed. That could be massive. Yeah, yeah, and you know, probably five six years ago they made sure Week Seventeen was all division matchups. Uh, so that that gives you a little bit of a, um, a chance for this happening. But um, you know, Green Bay Minnesota Monday night, the last Monday night game, that's basically for the NFC North. That's the difference between being a six and a three. So. 
you know, a top-heavy conference, you have a lot of these teams who are saying, hey, can we get to that fifth spot so we can be a road favorite at Philadelphia or Dallas in the wild card round? So a lot of intrigue. Have the 49ers at 8-0, have they peaked? They're 3-3 and in their last six. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rams are done. The Seahawks have played better on the road and then at home. So it's, uh, I think it's shaping up to be a, a very good week 16 with those three Saturday games, Bills, Patriots being one of them, and then leading into the finale. Ryan, real quick, I mean, what are your thoughts of the playoff format, right? Because for me to sit here and justify either Seattle or San Francisco being a wild card team, I just can't do it. I would much rather see, obviously, if you win your division, yes, you, you get a playoff spot, but then they should rank them or should, they should do the seedings of the playoffs due to best record once those teams are in. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I wrote about a little bit that, about that last week. I mean, I, I like the format is because winning the winning the division should count as something, and because you play each team twice, so that's six games, and you at least survive that you're the best of that group. Um, you know, maybe them making a playoffs or reseeding, but yeah. I, I don't think the league is headed that direction because right now. Um, Philadelphia or Dallas are probably going to finish eight, eight, nine, seven. So you're not going to have the black eye of a seven and nine team. Yeah. But the last couple of times that's happened under 500 team, they've won that first round game. So, um, you know, I, I think it's okay the way it is, unless this happens two, three years in a row. That's generally what it takes for owners, owners around this league to act. Ryan O'Halloran, good stuff on a lot of topics. Appreciate you checking in. Uh, we will not join you next week. So Merry Christmas, buddy. Happy holidays. I uh, hope you enjoy them. All right, we'll have uh, plenty of t- plenty to talk about in two weeks, I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, we always do. <laughs> yeah, we might have to move you up a day. <laughs> uh, thanks, man. Enjoy it. Go have a margarita. Steamy Colorado. <laughs> Ryan O'Haller in Denver Post from uh, on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Real quick thought on that. I'm with Ryan. I, I, don't, I think these are reactionary. You don't see it a lot. Eight and eight, seven and nine division champs. You just don't. Well, I mean, so it, it, it's like I get it. I get why people are saying it. But it's just kind of more of a one-off thing, and I think Ryan's right about the division stuff. And, yeah. and if San Francisco's that much better than a man, it doesn't matter if they played them on the moon. They're going to beat them, or Seattle, or whoever ends up as the fifth seed. No, I, I get your point, Brent, but to me, for a team to go, you know, like, uh, to 12 and 4, or we'll, we'll see 11 and 5, whatever it is, like for a team to be that good and to be a, in the wild card spot, to me, that's a punishment. Like, you should be rewarded for being one of the most dominant teams in the NFL. So that's why I think they should implement where if you win your division, congratulations, automatic playoff spot. And then from there, you do the reseeding and you go, you know, the best records get the one spot, second to best two spot, and so on and so on and so on. Because to try to justify, you know, like a San Francisco playing possibly at Philly or Dallas, well, yeah, of course I think they, they would dominate Dallas or Philly, but at the same time, is it fair for them to travel to those spots when they have the better record? In my opinion, it's not. No, it's probably not, Yeah, really. But I think they are trying to say, hey, their division does matter. And what if your division is really, really tough and so you finish 9-7? and seven? Not that I it's mean, really, really bad, but it's really, really tough. I mean, I would argue that the, the, the NFC West is the toughest division. No, it is. With, I, I with know. the L.A. Rams, San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks, and the Arizona Cardinals. But, like, that's the toughest. But my point is it can be tough and you can finish 9-7, and seven, so you should be rewarded. You're not always going to end up 12-4. and four, No. And it, it, that works out where those teams still won a lot of games outside because if you, it's a good division yeah but yeah. it can be a good division and you still end up ten, nine and seven is my point it can it's be not always a pillow fight or it can be a crappy division like the nfc east right now where it's dallas philly new york and washington yeah. so i get what you're saying there but i just think the teams that put in the work that perform well on the field they should be rewarded who was was it andy reed or no was it uh, arians who said they should just put them all in one conference 
I don't know who said that. As someone so. said that recently. I okay. was like, well, you know, that's kind of like how baseball used to work, right? Yeah. They won the pennant, uh, and then they matched up in the World Series. I would be surprised if it was Arians. He seems like the type of guy to be ahead of the game yeah. like that a little bit. Um, that'd be interesting. Yeah. You know, and then because I will say this, rivalries, yeah, you know, the Packers in Chicago, that means a little something. But rivalries yeah. in the NFL, I mean, we try to create a rivalry here with, like, Tennessee, Tennessee. and Houston. And it, it's it's more manufactured than it is real <laughs> across the board in the NFL. Think yeah. about even the Patri- Patriots, as hated as they are. I mean, how big of a rivalry do they have with the Dolphins, the Bills, or the Jets right now? Yeah. Doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Very few. Yeah, maybe there's like a little extra every once in a while with the Steelers and Browns, but it's nothing like college yeah. football. Yeah. I think back in the day, I think Steelers and Jaguars felt like one for it, but I think that's what happens. They feel like it for a handful of years, yeah. and then one team gets bad for a while, so it's hard to sustain it. Kind of like loses You never really built it up. It doesn't have the history like a baseball one does, college football does, and they've tried to create it, and I just don't think it works in the NFL. It's not a rivalry kind of league. Again, Chicago, Green Bay, they would disagree with me a little there. But you get my point overall. I don't really think it is um, on a consistent basis. Hey, let's hit the happy hour horn before we head to break here on a Wednesday. About a week away from Christmas. Shot, sip your star tenders. Hey, a week away from Christmas, if you're like me, you're like, what the heck am I going to buy that guy or this guy or this person or this family? How about I'm, a little... I'm right there right now. Yeah, I, we're all there right now, <laughs> okay, man. Okay, good. <laughs> how about a little Vita de Luis tequila? Oh, ah, go to com. Check out how you can make that happen. But uh, Vita de Luis tequila, perfect gift. 98 rating recently, of course. It's come out of the gates in 2019. They've had a monster year. Blanco, Reposado, and Yeho, three different flavors. Find out where to get it all on VitaDeLuis.com. Made in tequila, Mexico, shipped directly to Jack's Beach. Make your own recipes with Vita de Luis tequila, one of the smoothest tequilas you will ever taste. It absolutely is that. Vita de Luis. VitaDeLuis.com. Come. All right, we take a break. When we come back, I'll give you some updates on how the other schools are doing National Signing Day. And I do want to spend a moment or two talking about Pro Bowl because Calais gets in, and I think Ryan's right. I think, was this his best year? Probably not. Is it kind of a collective earned award off reputation? Probably so. Jalen Ramsey got in. I don't think he deserved to get in, quite frankly. If you look at his numbers, it didn't feel like that kind of year. And this isn't me, like, hating on Jalen. I, I just seriously was a little surprised to see him get in this year. Yeah. And then what about Leonard Fournette? Like, what? Yannick Ngakwe's not even, like, mentioned as an alternate. I know. How is that? It, How do we get a guy like Yannick Ngakwe more love in is, Jacksonville? Is there, like, a radio Pro Bowl that we sign up for or not? No. Okay. We didn't get but you, it. But, by the way, you... <laughs> and if there was, we didn't get it, Goose? We didn't get it, and you look like... It was it. It's in Hawaii or something. <laughs> oh, like, Brent. you're dressed like it. Brent with a passive-aggressive burn. I like it, man. I, I, Welcome I, back. I, I'm still debating whether I like it. Welcome back, man. What is on that shirt? Those are leaves, Next on man. ESPN 690.
congratulations to Calais. You know, in his 12th season and you know, three straight years now he's been with us. He's been voted to the Pro Bowl. I've been fortunate. I really have been in my career having you know players going to the Hall of Fame, players that I've gotten close to. And I got a question the other day. I don't know if uh, I think you know Tad and I were talking about it with a, a statement we were going to put out for Calais and or the effect that he's had on his teammates. And then I look at even broader, because we all know about the community stuff he does here and, and, and at home, and his leadership ability uh, in the locker room. He's always positive. Well, that's Doug Marone on Calais Campbell. Uh, and listen, there's nothing to not praise about Calais Campbell, right? Uh, fantastic football player, one of the best free agents, not only in Jacksonville, but in history of the NFL. Mm-hmm. He's now made three straight Pro Bowls since signing that big contract. He has earned every penny of that contract through three years. I don't know if he'll continue to earn it, but uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, when you give the resume of this regime, make sure you add to it Calais Campbell. And it's been one heck of a signing for this community, I think for the feel of this franchise. I can tell you that show we do on Thursday is Jaguars All Access, uh, which we will have this week uh, even we will have the next three Thursdays, even with the holidays around. Um, I can tell you the vibe he presents and the people that love to come out and see him and appreciate what he does for the community, even in losses, even in losing streaks, is felt. Uh, and, yeah, it's more important to win and all those other things. But um, he's doing a lot of good work around. So you can't say enough about Calais Campbell. Uh, we knew that anyway. I thought it was high praise from Doug Marone. And uh, I think from a big free agent standpoint, you know, it's different street free agents. Like they'll say Jimmy Smith, of course, yeah. uh, back in the day, that's a heck of a sign. But when you talk about investing in a big free agent, think about the ones they've had or tried to over the years um, in the history of this franchise. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'll find a bigger one. And they've landed some pretty good ones like Paul Pozlesny was a good one mm-hmm. for the years they got out of them. I mean, even A.J. Boye has been a good one. You know, we can go we can tell you the good ones. But has there been a greater one in terms of big money free agent signing? I don't think so. There hasn't been a, a bigger one, in my opinion, of the on-the-field performance and also just the off-the-field way he carries himself and r- represents the franchise through the good and bad times. You know, I mean, we've talked about it before, Brown, with Clayus Campbell. When we call him out and say, you know, he didn't do good in this play, he's man enough to admit the mistake. He'll explain why it went wrong and what he plans to do to fix it. And even today with the whole NFLPA thing coming out, which is a big topic right now in that locker room, and all the players getting asked the questions, I thought he handled that situation admirably. You know, and I thought he had the perfect response to it. It's almost like, I'm listen, I'm adamant. I hope they keep Clayus Campbell. I hope they can restructure his deal if need be. But if you keep Clayus Campbell, you know, like remember when uh, in Space Jam, MJ was like the player coach. They, they need Clayus Campbell to be the player slash PR person going forward because I think just the way he represents the organization and comes across, how could you not like the guy? Well, you have to. Um, You know, I I don't think everybody takes to it in a locker room, though. You've been through this. Uh, Are you talking about the takes to it as in the way he presents himself? Yeah. You're absolutely right. I I don't. I I honestly don't think this is – I don't know if I know enough about this, um, but I know what I saw on a couple occasions, and I think I know at least a little bit enough about it. Like, I don't think a guy like Ramsey cared what Calais Campbell had to say, mm-hmm. uh, what he brought to the table. All the things that a lot of people appreciate and will rave about and talk about, Doug Marone just did, other players will. I think a guy like Ramsey is like, I don't really, whatever. 
Yeah, whatever, dude. Like it just in one ear, right out the other. I'm doing it my way and that's it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, and I'm not saying he was the only one, but I think that happens across the league as well. I, I think there are just some guys, you know, you're probably not going to get yeah. on, uh, uh, to be on that page. Well, and I, again, I don't want to be unfair to Ramsey because I'm, I'm not saying he's the only guy that across the league has ever done it. Yeah. I'm just saying it doesn't matter. Uh, now, would a Larry Fitzgerald be able to influence, uh, Jalen Ramsey? I don't know. Probably not. No, probably yeah. not. And he's influenced a lot of guys. But let me tell you something you should already know, Brent. In terms of locker rooms, even on Super Bowl winning teams, not everybody gets along with everybody in that locker room. No, right? no, no, no. There's, no. there's clicks just like it's in high school. Absolutely. Now, when they go on the field, then yes, they play together and you don't notice any of the rumblings. But in every locker room and in every job, pick your job. There's going to be discrepancies. There's going to be, um, you know, changes of personality where one may not agree with how someone else, you know, conducts themselves. Whatever the reason, if it's age, uh, background, uh, religion, where they come from, whatever the reasons are, that's always going to happen in a locker room. But I think, you know, Calais Campbell is there for the guys that want to listen, like the Josh Allens, who was playing at a Pro Bowl level himself. I think Calais Campbell has a lot to do with that. So if guys want to listen, you know Calais Campbell's there. And if it's me, and listen, even when I was that rookie in the NFL and I had Aaron Campman, I didn't always agree with Aaron Campman stuff, right? Like, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not going to come in at 530 in the morning and sit in the cold tub for 20 minutes. Okay, Aaron, I'm going to sleep, and I'm not going to foam roll after. I'm not going to foam roll my IT bands. You know why, Aaron? Because it hurts, okay? It sucks, and I don't want to do it, okay? I, I eat uh, P.F. Chang's, and I eat Panda Express five times a week. I don't care. I'm not going to eat a salad every single day like you do. I'm just going to do my thing. Now, looking back on it, in retrospect, should I have looked at Aaron Campman a little more and been like, dude, I probably should have came along yeah i absolutely should have but right but i was a rookie um it was kind of like a generational thing so it is what it is but clayus campbell's there for those players that need him i guess my, that's, that's my point it's a great story it's, yeah. it's great one because young guys when you're young you're young and dumb you're young and, and dumb young, you think and, you know it and all you think you know it all and by yeah. the way that's any profession that's anything uh that's life that's your kids that's whatever mm -hmm. that's you when you were a kid to your parent it's all that stuff yeah and there is a little bit of sense that here's my view of what happened in 16 they were so hungry to win they were so tired of everything after 16 got done that when 17 guys like calais came in and he's like i've done this before malik jackson who had come in mm -hmm. you know in, in, in that free agency uh time frame he had done it before. Mm -hmm. He's like, I've been to the Super Bowl, Kalea says. I, uh, Malik says, I've won a Super Bowl. That's well-respected stuff inside. Like, hey, show us the way, man. Show us how do we get there. Hey, big brother, yeah. how do we do this? Because we can't find our way out of a wet paper bag right now. And it's when you brought it up. But the, that big brother's job, right? I'll let you finish, but I cut you off for a second. So like the Aaron Campbells, like the Kalea's Campbells, yes, they will show you the way. But here's the thing. Even the greats like those guys, they're not going to pull you by your wrist. They're not going to say, hey, come with me. I'll show you how it's done. You have to go out of your way to follow them because it's very rarely in an NFL locker room where that seasoned vet, the guy that knows how to do things the right way, is going to go, hey, you come over here. You come over here. You come over here. No, it's your job as a rookie to go follow them. Well, and Puzlozny and Miles Jack, right? Yep. You kind of sense that that relationship was in there, too. Um, so you had those guys. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I, I still can't get over the dynamic of a couple of things. Paul Puzlesny leaves, and in his retirement, the emotions of Telvin Smith. 
the the Doug Marone saying we're going to create a T-shirt. What would Puzz do? Mm-hmm. The I think naming the team room after Puzz. Well, or, it was the team room, and then it was like the, the like the training room as right. well. Like like I think Milo like made it the Paul Puzz Lesney Award or whatever like that for like the best weightlifter. Yeah. Uh, so there were the things that are happening in there. Yeah. And so they you see, see it. Telvin Smith sees it. Yeah. Miles Jack sees it. And just because they're not in the building anymore, you don't do it. I mean, was it really that impactful? Was it just show? Was it? What I don't get that dynamic. Something changed in there for Telvin Smith mm-hmm. along the way uh, last year at 18, and now whatever his future is or isn't in the NFL. And Miles Jack, even I mean, is he is he lived up to that? Like, if you really did wear a shirt, to what would Puzz? And I'm not saying to have to do everything a guy does in the NFL. That's of not, course, because I don't want to misrepresent. You have to be your own man at you the end ha- of the you day. You do have to be your own guy, mm-hmm. and and you don't you don't want to clone Puzzlesny and be the guy. Yeah. I'm just saying. These guys were guided down a path and and looked like they were all in on that path, mm-hmm. and it's like okay, is that path still? Is it is it? Do you really need that guy showing you way? I mean, do you need the horse, mm-hmm. you know, to guide you to that water all the time? Yeah. You weren't ready to do it on your own. That's the way I got this feel sometimes, and I'm afraid of that with Calais Campbell in this locker room. If he goes away, does some of those guys lose that? Does a Josh Allen, does a Yannick Ngakwe, who have been highly influenced, and they give a lot of credit to Calais Campbell and how he does business. And by the way, they do things on, on their own great. They have chips on their shoulders. They want to be great. All those things. It's not just Calais. Uh, they have this drive within them. But is that enough to carry them, or would they go down the wrong path? I think this organization has to be a little bit careful of that, given the history in the last decade of making some really bad choices and having some not-so-great locker rooms of losing a guy like Campbell. I guess that's my point. No, and you're absolutely correct there, Brent, because we saw it happen with Daryl Smith. We saw it happen with Mercedes Lewis. Then we saw it happen when Puzz left recently. And with those guys, those staples, those pillars in the locker room, it's almost like they got the keys to a – to like a 2000 Mitsubishi Eclipse, and guess what? It's a stick shift, and it's hard to drive. But if you stick with them, and if you follow them, they will show you how to drive that car, so you will be fine on your own. So when it's their time to hand over the keys, well, some players weren't ready to handle that responsibility. And guess yeah. what? And you know what they did? They messed up the bumper, they couldn't drive the stick shift, or they hit a deer. Whatever the case <laughs> is, it just it wasn't a good situation. So they weren't ready. And I agree with you from the sentiments of, if Calais Campbell was to leave right now, you know, if the new regime comes in and says, sorry, man, we can't pay this much money, got to go someplace else, sorry. If I look at this team right now, I am a little nervous with where they go from the leadership. You have guys like Yannick Ngakwe, okay? You have guys like Miles Jack, but it, it begs the question, are they ready to drive the car? That you know, the, the, are, are they ready to take over for Calais if Calais is no longer here? And I honestly... Don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, and let me ask you this. I'm going to spin this to to this current events of this week. And i got to be careful here because I don't want to insinuate. I'm I'm genuinely just asking Mm -hmm. and just raising theories like we we do sometimes on these kind of topics. Given the grievances and the battle with the front office with some players, could it look like for Calais – that he was too much of the company guy. And not just Calais, Puzz, Calais, uh, whoever. Maybe it was Mercedes at the time. Name your guy. Name the guy that you thought was, hey, he was, he was the leader in there and, and influencing guys and doing the right way and be a pro. Yeah. But Jalen Ramsey's battling the front office 
And did Jalen Ramsey at times feel like he's battling the front office in his own locker room? And that might have been the Calaises and Puzzes of the world. Did he view it that way? Could he have been right about that? Well, I don't think he's right about that, by the way. I, sure. I, I, I don't think he is. But I'm just saying, if he had that perception, could other guys have had that perception as well? And you then refer to a clicky locker room. Yeah. And you get that situation. You know what I mean? And, and, I, I, know, I don't, yeah, know I don't want to be unfair representing oh, no, you're, that. This is a great question. Um, Man, that's that's a good point that I've honestly never thought of before. I guess when we're looking from that perspective, because... We always say in this business, Brent, where there's smoke, there's fire. So all we know is the stuff that's happened with the grievances and then the jail and stuff. We know stuff from what we hear from the team. Granted, there's probably a lot more stuff that we don't even know about yet. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Th- that maybe will come out in a book later down the line. Can't yeah. wait to read that one. So it's even worse than we've, you know, tried to bring across to, to the people listening. And every NFL headquarters is like that. Correct. Has Absolutely. stuff that nobody has heard about. Exactly. So from that perspective... You know, is it almost a detriment, I guess you would say, trying to get to your thesis here. It's almost a detriment sometimes where when you have that leadership that is the company man that is like, hey, guys, you know, we should listen to them because, you know, they're they're the bosses and everything. And you can lose a locker room like that. And, and I can see that standpoint. But at the same time, and I fell in line where I had to be a company man. There were some things that happened, Brent, when I played that I would love to come out and said, you know what, this isn't right and I don't want to be here. But I couldn't afford to do that because I wanted a job. I had to put food on the table, and if I was to do that, who was to say I could never play football again? Because other teams would see that and be like, "No, we don't want him. Let him go." Yeah, he's 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 a pawn. He's not he's not a, a you know a prime time player. So when you have guys like Calais Campbell, who can come out and say that, who can come out and quote unquote have Jalen Ramsey's back, does it create a rift when they don't do that? And the short answer could be yes. I don't know the answer for sure, but I think the long answer is this. We know that the culture this year has been horrible, okay? It it hasn't been good. The team hasn't been succeeding. There's been grievances left and right. It it was not a good year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I know deep down Calais Campbell understands that, listen, this culture right now, man, this isn't good, okay? This isn't a good situation here. I have two options if I'm Calais Campbell. I can come out and say, you know what? This is BS here. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to try to... I guess rally a mutiny in the locker room and yeah. try to get changes, and that's that's the one way you can take, or you can take the road that I think he took, and he took the road that says, you know what, the front office it's not good right now, but I'm supposed to be a leader of this team, winning is the most important part of the game, and right now complaining, saying it's not right here, saying that changes should be made, it's not going to help us win at the moment. So I think. Why you, you you could say, you could argue that Clayus Campbell is the company man and it doesn't reflect good on the, on the locker room and that leadership. I could also turn around and spin it and say, you know what, Clayus Campbell is the guy that was jumping on grenades trying to keep it afloat just because he's been in NFL locker rooms. He knows how it works and he's trying to help guys keep their jobs. Absolutely. Uh, again, yeah. I am not in any way, shape, or form, if this was the case, even blaming or faulting Calais Campbell. It's all a perception thing. But it was a great question, and in, though. And in a me, me, me kind of locker room, world, sport, profession, Jalen Ramsey, me, 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 Mm -hmm. he's only looking at it one way. Yeah. What about me? Yeah. And that we know for fact. I mean, that's just the kind of guy, that's a player he is. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's sometimes an awesome thing. Yeah. But in these kind of moments, could it create friction and those kind of things too? Here's one last thought on it. There is no player 
Very few players, in fact, in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But there is no player right now in the locker room. And there are several to choose from. But no player that is more respected by the organization than Calais Campbell. Top down. Mm -hmm. Tom Coughlin. Doug Marone. Dave Caldwell. Shad Khan. Tony Khan. Everybody. The the mailman. Everybody. (laughs) There is no player that is more respected. I can say that. Fact. I'll I'll co-sign that all day, man. If I am Shad Khan, and maybe he has, maybe he hasn't, at some point in the next two weeks, I am sitting down with Calais Campbell and getting all the dirt, the mm-hmm. things that he might not say in front of a microphone, but would tell me because he's in that building and say it from a player's perspective, but also a guy that understands how it should work from the top down and respects the top down management, yeah. top down coaching. If I'm Shad Khan, I am sitting down with Calais Campbell at some point in the next two weeks and probably at the end of the season, let him do his job and finish his job and mm-hmm. finish out this year. But I'm calling that at meeting and asking for that meeting and hopeful that Calais Campbell will respond and shed some light on this organization and how to make it better. You want to hear something crazy? When Coach Malarkey was let go and Shad Khan was in-house, he appointed this leadership council to come in and talk to Shad Khan after the after the you know everybody went home, but like that leadership council, I wasn't part of it, so I can't say what happened in those meetings. But there was some guys in that locker room that talked to Shad Khan about, hey, here's what's going on, and here's what we need to do going forward. This was after Malarkey got fired. After Malarkey got fired. Okay. Yeah. So maybe there. Well, so I know who the, funny you said, I know oh, who the yeah, president that of that committee should be. Yeah. Let's absolutely. just say that without a doubt. Uh, and you know what? I also maybe would even bring back a guy like Puzzlesny. Uh, and and other players, it, it should be a variety of personalities and players. It shouldn't just be like this, you know, this one type of player. No, yeah. But you can bring people that aren't afraid to say anything and afraid, be like, hey, this is this is way it could kind of like what Doug did. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Doug did that this year. He listened to the players, but maybe the owner now needs to listen to the players, much like they did. It sounds like yep. uh, back in 2013. Other. A couple of quick things. Uh, sure. I think Leonard Fournette gets snubbed. He deserves. He earned a right to go to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. It's tough. I'm not saying Nick Chubb doesn't deserve to go or Ingram doesn't deserve to go. Those guys. But it's it's hard to sit here and cover Leonard Fournette every day and see what we see. And not just from a change in personality and, and maturity, but on the field and say he hasn't earned a spot in the Pro Bowl. I was probably the one I felt bad for the most because of all the change he put in, and I know it would have meant a lot to him. Yeah. I think he will get in eventually, and hopefully he does from as an alternate. I, I hope but he does too, because you know what? he's earned it, man. He's earned it, and it justifies for all the work that he put in. Now he shouldn't he shouldn't care because in my eyes he's, he's a Pro Bowl player. But if he was to go to the Pro Bowl, it just justifies all that work. The one thing I've learned is this stuff matters to these guys a lot. Yeah. It really does. It matters a lot because it's resume building. Yeah. Uh, Josh Allen. He'll get there, and oh, he yeah. might even get there this year. The other one is Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah. I don't know what we have to do. This is kind of like Baselli and Fred Taylor to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but we need to start putting Yannick Ngakwe's name out there more because the fact that he's not even on the alternate list mm-hmm. is a sh- damn shame. Mm-hmm. Just a damn shame. I mean, this guy, he, he already has one. So he's got a little bit of notoriety amongst the league. Yeah, I understand why he doesn't have it as much with the fans. They, we need to boost him out there. They need to boost him out there. Yannick has to do some things, I guess, from a marketing standpoint. But 
he deserves more recognition. Even if he didn't get in, he should be a first or second alternate. No, he wasn't even on the listen, alternate list, man. Listen, Brent, you're absolutely right. But at the end of the day, the Jagos are five and nine I right now. It. I and, get it. I get it. And that's got a lot to do with it, man. I get it. I also don't love the fact that the Ravens have twelve. I just twelve is a that's, lot. Uh, that's a lot. Twelve that's is a, a lot. You a even brought, last year, Kansas City had six. Six, as yeah, good as they were. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, we'll I, talk more Jags yeah. and, and everything tomorrow. You know, next couple of days, I, I do want to do this. Uh, Stories of the decade, yep. maybe locally, maybe even beyond, just yeah. some things that stick out. And we're, we're going to go through some stories of this year. Mm-hmm. And heck, we can spend a whole day doing sh- <laughs> stories of this year Get the uh, on, on uh, shows. Uh, I said close. shows. That's uh, close. Shows. Oh, you thought You're I was going to say. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. where I thought I was going. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 I yeah. wasn't doing that. Uh, I just couldn't spit out shows. Uh, to transfer, real quick, chance to redeem yourself. So have you decided, do you like my shirt or not? Yeah, I... Yeah. Scratching his face. Scratching his face so he's lying to me already. Scratching his face. What are those things, those big green things? Not grasshoppers, but like the praying mantis? Yeah. I feel like your shirt is full of praying mantises. Wow, that's awesome. And what what are you wearing today? Let me see your shoes quick. What are you rocking? Okay. These are Costco's specials. You you look like a guy from a Zoloft commercial who hasn't taken the product yet. I'm depressed just looking at you right now. (laughs) How do you feel about that? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Brent. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's going okay. I just don't care right now. There you go. Well, happy, happy holidays, Brent. Thank you very much. Disney depression. You, know, <laughs> you just can't take it. You just can't no, take hey, it. You better believe it. I can dish it out all day, but you better believe I'm sensitive and I cannot take it. I'll be the first to admit it. All right. Uh, hey, we'll update you on all the rankings. By the way, Florida comes in number seven, Georgia number six right now, and the recruiting's Ohio State three, Clemson one, Bama two, LSU's number four. So a uh, pretty good showing for uh, the SEC. I think they had 10 in the top 25 yep. in the rankings. Of course, there'll be another national signing day coming up in February. I'm, I'm going to file a grievance for you, and I'll see you tomorrow, man. All right, very good. Grievance on that shirt. You just got fined <laughs> $66. Have a good night, everybody. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.